Hey, hey, it's episode 11 of the Gaming Armies podcast where I, the blessed beatmaker Roboclip, your friendly neighborhood prophet, seer, and revelator, you know, the guy that can talk to the gaming gods, you can't talk to him, you gotta go through me, yeah, that guy. Well, they told me, the holy Triforce, Miyamoto the Father, Kojimi the Son, and Carmack the Holy Ghost, they commanded me to create the one true gaming podcast, the best gaming podcast on planet Earth, and they told me exactly how to do it. All I do is just interview creative and interesting people about their favorite gaming memories growing up. And on this episode of the podcast, we have a uh, kind of out of left field, something I would have never expected doing when I started the podcast, but that is interview a commercial airline pilot who is an airline pilot simply because of video games. And we'll get into that. His name is Mike Rushforth. I've actually known him for a very long time, and I knew he was a commercial airline pilot, but I didn't know that he became a pilot because of video games. So he wanted to hop onto the podcast, talk about the video games that impacted him growing up. Newsflash, spoiler alert, there might be some flight simulator in there. Go figure, right? And how badass flight simulator flight simulator is. We talk about Arma, the like uh, army simulator, and how deep down the rabbit hole... Mother efforts can get going into that game. Rabbit hole goes deep. And just all around, we have a great time. Mike is a legitimate bad ha- badass on top of being a commercial airline pilot, which is no easy feat in of itself. He's actually a really good guitar player. He makes music under Mike Rushforth. I would say it's sort of like chill, ambient, maybe like album leaf, explosions in the sky, sometimes no drums, more ambient, more reverb, really chill stuff. If you like to hang back, relax, put the headphones on, get into that transcendental state, Mike Rushforth's music can definitely do that for you. They are gaming god approved. Miyamoto the father himself said it's pretty dope beats. So check them out. And then he also played guitar for a band after tomorrow. If you're into emo, pop punk, um, when that was that was in, Mike was in. Shredded on the guitar. Had a fantastic time talking to him. Make sure to check his stuff out. I will put links in the podcast description as usual. And always remember, kids, ladies and gentlemen, fellow members of the congregation, the chosen people, it's your duty to spread the good news of the Gaming Memories Gospel. Make sure to like, share, comment, hit it up. Let your friends and family know the gaming gods will bless you. I give you my prophetic promise. The windows of heaven shall open up and pour blessings so much there shall not be room enough to receive them. So do your duty. I say these things in the name of Miyamoto the Father, Kojima the Son, and Karmak the Holy Ghost. Enjoy the show and amen, friends. We've kept con- kept in contact over the years, though, man. It's uh, I've always been following you and appreciate all the stuff you've been doing. Yeah, and you've been making a lot of music, a lot of ambient music. It seems like you've stuck with it for a solid. Know, it's been a couple of years, right? Well, yeah, that's the thing. Is like I feel like I I have so much more time that I could put into it, but I don't. You know, and then I, I look. I went back to look at some the last song I did. It was like in like January. I'm like, man, eight months can just fly by and you don't realize that you haven't worked on what you love doing, you know, but yeah, I don't know. That's what happens, I guess. Well, um, so how, I was trying to think, I can't remember how we met. Do you remember how we met? So we met, 
through either Kylie or Tyler Carden. I do remember Tyler because he was and, a snowboard instructor at Sundance, right? I think yeah. that's where I knew him from. And for whatever reason, we you were just you just came over to my house and we were just started hanging out. Yes. And then me and you connected on Refused. Yes, that's what it was. And I remember I was like, "What? Like no way! Like I don't know anyone else who likes hardcore and blah blah." And then we just kind of connected on music, and I don't know how that what what else happened, but we just kept in touch. It was weird. I remember, yeah, I brought up Refused because uh, another friend of mine had showed him to me semi recently, like it was fairly like within the year before I met you, and I was still pretty into him. And you had. And obviously, I got into them late, like a lot of people did. They were already dead and done. And you yeah, had yeah. The, you had the DVD that I didn't even know existed. Oh, that's right, that's right. And yeah. you showed me the DVD, and I was like, "Okay, this dude's dope." Yeah, yeah the refused are fucking dead. <laughs> yeah, that was like an awesome DVD. Like it's a great DVD. Love, yeah. yeah, you know what's so, so awesome about that? The specifically the album, "A Shape of Punk to Come." It was the shape of punk to come. Exactly. Yeah, isn't that weird? Like that's so prophetic for them to do that. Like. I listen to them now and I got listen to what they say and I'm like, damn, dude, they're kind of arrogant. But at the same time, like they actually did it, you know, <laughs> like they yeah. really, they really did do that. So yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah. But, if you, if yeah, you I still listen to it, man. I still listen to them on a regular basis. So what would you classify them as for people who don't know who they are? Uh, they're, I guess you just call them, they're like hardcore punk, but they kind of started their way into like the beginnings of metalcore maybe like kind of like opening up that door to yeah. metalcore but, metal but they core kept a lot and a little a little bit of uh, electronic influences made uh-huh. their way in there yeah. yeah i had a hard time with that at the beginning like when i was in high school and i first heard them i was like yeah i don't know about the electronic stuff and then now i'm like oh that was yeah. like that was genius you know yeah. obviously like uh, it took me a while to kind of catch on to that though but yeah, yeah. so yeah we met over refuse kept hanging out and then the reason why – I mean I'll have a little intro that I recorded. But the reason why yeah, cool. you guys should listen to what you have to say about video games is you are a pilot. I What airline are you flying for? So uh, typically I don't say publicly um, in okay. the kind of situations. I'm not trying to be coy but uh, just because I don't represent them necessarily. But, but you're a legit pilot. Yeah. So I'm an airline captain uh, for uh, a major airline in the United States based in Las Vegas. And so uh, fly the Airbus A320. Um, typically people can kind of figure out, you know, if they kind of do a little research who I fly for, but, but I just don't say the, the company name publicly. So you um, can freely express all your opinions with no recourse. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, still, yeah, exactly. So, um, not trying to be coy, like I said, but, uh, try to be a little careful about that. So, yeah. And the, you, you got a hold of me and you said, Hey man, I really, really want to be on the pod. Normally it's me begging people to be on the podcast. So it's nice that you got a hold of me and said, Hey, I actually am a pilot because of video games. I want to be on your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I saw you, you posted it up on Facebook. I'm like, Oh, gave me like you hadn't even, this is your first podcast. And, um, and I saw the kind of the concept of what you were trying to do here. And I'm like, that is a fantastic idea. And I just actually said, Hey, I'm on this. Like, Let's like let's talk about it. I just wanted to, or I just wanted to go and listen to it. And then you're like, "Hey, you want to come on?" And I said, "Yeah, absolutely." And then I kind of pitched you some of the stuff I was thinking about. So, um, but yeah, we can get into that too. So. Yeah, well, we'll get into that. I want people to know what we're yeah, going to yeah. end up talking about. I also wanted to bring up you were in. I also thought you were really cool because when I first met you, you had already done the music thing and toured around, and you had some really cool tour photos and some cool demos. And I can remember this one photo in particular. That you had 
with some emo hair and guitar and some footage. And I was like, oh, you guys rocked. You guys oh, went yeah. hard. Yeah, that's right. I remember showing you that stuff, and it actually, like, like someone actually in Provo actually cared. You know, someone, you know, <laughs> what was the band called? It. Uh, it's called After Tomorrow. So. After Tomorrow. Is there anything yeah. online still? Um, yeah, we have actually we put a lot of our pop punk stuff up online. Uh, it's on Spotify and all that. We I put it up a couple years ago, or maybe even just last year. Um, stuck all that stuff up there, and then we have some stuff when we kind of transition more to. Um, oh, I would say kind of the, the screamo style in the early 2000s when that was big. Uh, when we transitioned to that, um, we, we recorded a full EP um, and we got all the way up to right prior to mastering it. And then I ended up leaving the band. So I uh, ended up going to Guatemala for a couple of years. You so, ruined it. I know, man. Yeah. Oh, you just shattered <laughs> those poor boys' dreams. Which, which is sad because we should have finished it, you know, and there were, when we, when I, well back after two, yeah. when I got back after two years, you know, those guys didn't end up, you know, none of those guys went on any sort of, you know, religious missions or anything like that. But, uh, you know, when, when we came back, we're like, why don't we just put that thing out and let it simmer for a couple of years? Because Seosin, if you remember them back in the day, they put out an EP, uh, five songs and yep. they let, they just put that out and they played some shows here and there, but that was about it. And they let it sit and just simmer for a couple of years, and then they went and hit it hard, and and actually got pretty big. So we're like, yeah, we could have we could have done it, but oh well, you know, woulda coulda shoulda, you know. Sayosin was was so awesome. I remember the first time I heard yeah. them. I don't regret any of the emo and the stuff that ended up coming from that. And I still think some of those early bands. I know we're talking about music, but I had the same idea. Like, oh, we could talk about music you grow up that influenced you growing up, or movies, and so. Anyway, yeah. we're going to go off. I, the first time I heard Seosin, I remember a friend came over. He was way younger, and he ha- he had the emo look, and I, was, I already wrote him off. It's like, hey, this kid plays guitar or whatever. And he started yeah. playing guitar, and he was pretty good. And he said, check out this band. This is the kind of stuff that I want to make. And he left. And I went running, and I put it in the headphones. And I got – I don't know. Al, you probably know their discography better than me, but it was – Actually, don't just. Oh. I just know that one that one EP they put out. So, does it have like the C, song C sharp or Symphony of C or something like that? I can't remember the songs. I'd have to go back and uh, per take se, a look there's at it. It's been, fans out here. it's been a long time. You assholes, jerks, yeah, <laughs> posers. Sayosin EP. I don't even know how to spell it. They're going to be freaking. Out. They were they were just the example for us because that's what they because that was kind of their the way that they went about uh, dropping their music. And we're like, man, we could have done that. And look at what they did, you know. Lost but. Symphonies. That was the song. Okay, cool. That that song, I was like, oh, I've never heard anything. This this is like really cool. This is an interesting take. And then some of the bands that spawned from that that I ended up really liking was a band from Arizona, Scary Kids, Scaring Kids. Yeah, yeah, that's, I remember that. That's yep. my emo band. Like when I want to just listen to emo, metalcore, and just want to relive that. And it's them and the used. Those yeah. are my two go-tos. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Yeah, I go back to a lot of that stuff, man. My, my all my running playlists, man, are all old hardcore bands that I that I still listen to, and um, yeah, all sorts of those old punk bands, man. I, I dig it. So, did you ever listen to Poison the Well? Yeah, uh-huh. yes. yeah, oh, yeah, nerdy. Yeah, that was great, man. I yeah. saw them live at Warp Tour in like, oh gosh, probably two thousand one. Yeah, live at Warp Tour. Yeah, long. Time That's what ago. sold me. I saw them live at. I don't know if it was the same Warp Tour, but a Warp Tour for sure. Those were sure. awesome. And uh, they just rocked so hard. 
that I went and bought like two of their CDs like, as soon as yeah. I got home. They were awesome. Yep, Poison the Well. Uh, one big one, probably one of my biggest um, bands I still listen to is Converge. Uh, I actually don't yes. have it up right now, but the uh, the Jane Doe poster. I have a Jane Doe flag that I usually have up in my office, but I don't have it up right now. But yeah, so I have like I have a Jane Doe mug, coffee mug, all that stuff. So yeah, really cool. But what do you listen to now? What have you moved on to? All all that stuff. I mean, I listen to all sorts of stuff. I mean, and you know the the type of music I've been doing. Uh, one of my probably my biggest influences from the music that I've been doing lately, um, which I haven't worked that hard at producing, but. Where can people um, find that, by the way? Uh, Spotify. Spotify. Yeah, Bandcamp. You're just your um, name, Mike Rushforth? Mike Rushforth, yeah. Nice. Anything, anything we'll put some there. links in um, the description. Yeah, cool. Uh, a lot of that stuff, I've been really influenced by Illuvium as of late uh, with that Illuvium. kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's this guy. He just does um, really like cinematic type stuff. And he's mainly a pianist, uh, but he, you know, he does a lot of, um, oh, man. Just like like music for movies and soundtracks and things like that on the side, but he has all of his stuff on. Uh, I think it's through Temporary Residence, the uh, the record label Temporary Residence. Once you hear him, I think you'll recognize who he is. But uh, okay, super good stuff. Just really ethereal, kind of ambient type music, and I just dig it because it's the one guy doing it, and he's kind of you know he. I think he relies on his computer a lot to to do a lot of that stuff, um, and that's what I'm doing. I'm just you know I don't I don't have time to kind of get with a band. I don't have time to, you know, to, to work out all those schedules. I know what that life is like. And, and, you know, when you're a dad, when you have a career and all that stuff, it's, you know, it's hard to fit that stuff in. So, it, you know, the thought of like the, my, my influences were like, okay, hey, there's like these bedroom producers, these kids who have like their laptop and they just sit on their bed and they make these cool beats and music and stuff like that. And while I might not make the electronic music that sounds like them, I, I like their workflow and the way that they do things because that's kind of that's kind of the the uh, you can with the technology the now you can make whatever's in your head yeah and the barrier to entry is so much lower the gear the programs are getting better and faster and more intuitive and the gear is getting cheaper and higher quality and the, exactly and yeah. it's it's it floods the marketplace with a lot more music but. What I found that like you can find lots of really cool variations of stuff that you love and you can go real deep, much deeper than you could have uh, pre-internet age, right? When you just had like – I remember skate videos is how I found new music. I didn't even skate. But yeah. skate yeah, yeah. videos oh, yeah. had cool new music. So that's, that's how I discovered I Modest for. Mouse. Yeah, Modest Mouse through old 411 skate video. Um, geez, man. Old, like, a t- yeah, a ton of bands through – you know those toy old toy machine videos and stuff, but yeah, yeah that, the media was so different when we were kids, you know. And like this is kind of what you were alluding to earlier was that you know we grew up with this certain type of media, um, and it's it's interesting to see like now that we're older, you know, and now we have jobs, and now we kind of have the money to be able to to invest in these things. It's cool because now the technology is doing what we wished it would have done then, if that yes. makes sense. Yeah. But at the same time, like I would never, I wouldn't trade that for anything. I would have no. traded that that experience of having that limitation set in front of me you know well that limitation is why the idea for the podcast to me was so sexy is a lot of times i found when i was hanging out with friends we talked about mutual interests growing up like that was like sometimes i I find that a lot of men like to just talk about mutual interest or things or music whatever and you and you bond over that and it's like oh 
Well, if I'm doing this all the time, and it's, I find it very entertaining just to listen to these conversations, even when yeah. I'm not participating. Um, and I also find them super fun. Like, there's something magical about growing up and only having so many games at a blockbuster to choose from. Yeah. And only having yeah. so many CDs. Like, like, before you could burn CDs and there was no Napster, I mean, you had to, like, and you were a kid, you, <laughs> your disposable income was really low. So whatever CD you got, that's this, and you you gave it, you earned, you got your money's worth. You memorized that CD. If yep, it's something you yep. liked, you knew every song, you knew every lyric, mm -hmm. you knew every break, you and you knew it as an entire album. And that I don't, I love music, but I never listen to music like that anymore. Now I just, it's oh, yeah. in some ways it's better because I have all these playlists for certain moods. I really like deep, chill, ambient kind of melodic music, and I have this. Spotify playlist it's like thousands of songs deep and now the Spotify, yeah. the Spotify algorithm is so good it looks at those songs and it's requesting me new songs and 50% of the time they're dope as shit and there's just so much music I just put it on the playlist I don't even know the song names I don't know the artist names I just yeah. shuffle it and uh, I'm like oh yeah that song I, I like this one it sucks for the artists because I have no idea who they are no right yeah it's I, you know it's hard because like I end up I feel like I'm kind of I click around too much on these songs these days with, with Spotify, whereas like I was really into albums, you know, in junior high, high school, college, like I would have a CD, I'd stick it in the CD player in the car and that's what I would listen to. And I'd listen to the whole album. So, you know, I, and I feel like that's kind of the, like you're saying, kind of the magic part of what makes a good band is, is how they put together an album, not necessarily the, the cool song that they put together, you know, the, um, you know, there's lots, lots of bands like that, like one hit wonder type thing. But, uh, now it's like I'll listen to a band even if they're one-hit wonder on Spotify, and I won't even note it. Know it, yeah, because so, I'll just kind of keep playing. It's tough, man. Yeah. It's tough. It's and so yeah, me and my wife, we were just talking about this the other day about burning CDs and having the big computer in the living room, and you know we're sitting there trying to download all these songs off of Napster, and we're trying to explain this to our kids to my to my nine-year-old, and she's like, she just can't even <laughs> doesn't even fathom. It, yeah, no, she can't <laughs> understand it, man. It's so funny, like. Is it, you know, I mean, we could understand when our parents would be like, yeah, we used to listen to records and like, we could totally understand that. You could conceptualize it's, it's, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And now it's this thing that's out in the, you know, it, it's in the cloud, you know, all, far, this, yeah, all these songs are just everywhere. So, yeah. As far as a kid is concerned, music is basically just air. It's just in the air and you can yeah. just get it whenever you want it. Just push a button. You get whatever music you want. It's just, it's just, it's like air. But what's yeah, and that's that's what kind of trips me out is like, what's the next thing after that? You know, what what, what is music going to be after that? What's it going to sound like? Elon Musk is Neuralink. It just bypasses your freaking <laughs> eardrums, goes straight into your oh, brainstem. Man. It does every, it does music, feeling, yeah, exactly. smell, touch, <laughs> all in once. You just lay back, to see ya. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's cool. probably what's going to happen if it's possible. I have some friends yeah. that have been debating about whether the the concept of Neuralink is even even feasible. Obviously, I'm a dummy. I have no idea. I'm not a scientist. I'm not Neuralink. I think some I of it's it. feasible, but people make good arguments that it's not feasible. And I don't know well, how to tell the difference. It, when you hear the interviews with Elon Musk, he's just like so matter of fact about it. He's like, yeah, yeah, it's going to happen. Like, yeah, it's it's going to happen. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, okay, wait, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, like when, you know, and how, you know, he doesn't even, he doesn't even, he's already, counter, they've already thought of all those things. My counter just argument trying to figure though, out how to, is historically this is what other that's not my counter argument i'm just parroting what someone else said that sure. sounded awesome if i wanted to argue against it is when you look at i guess when you look at tesla edison and the other 
famous inventors, even ones who aren't famous, but they're, they're credited to some sort of thing that you wouldn't even know about. When you think about it, like, I'm sure some guy invented the lamp or, you know, I don't know, something like that. And he's probably, but we don't know who he is. Apparently, most guys are like one to five hit wonders with thousands of failed ideas. Yeah. So you could argue, like, Elon's had a couple good ideas. He's probably had a lot of failed ideas we don't even know about. How do you know that Neuralink is, this is just going to be a failed idea? Good point. Yep. I don't know, man. I, I'm hoping it's kind of maybe the tunnel thing, you know, <laughs> like, you know, maybe the tunnel thing's a failed thing, but the neural, I don't know. The neural link actually kind of scares me to be honest. I, uh, so, I, I buy scary. into it to a certain extent. So a lot of people will argue, uh, like the nature of consciousness and what is, con can you upload and download? And was that even really you? I'm not even going to get into that. That's so like whatever, but I do think it's possible because there are people who are paraplegic or have prosthetic arms that they can control that arm remotely with their mind over the internet. There's a video of a guy. I'll find it and put it in the link to the podcast. He's like sitting in a room, just sitting there. A lot of that eyes got like some harness hooked on his head. And then there's a video of like an arm sitting on a table, just like just a robot arm. And they're in separate rooms and he can control it with his mind. Wow. Not Dude, that's insane. It's not really good. He's not like fine picking up marbles and sifting things with a lot of dexterity. But they can get – there is something going on there and there's there's a handful of people I found on YouTube that have legitimate motorized prosthetic limbs. Yeah. Uh -huh. And then they just think and they can get them to move. So I think if you extrapolate that, somehow taking ones and zeros or you know, firing of your neurons and translating that to a computer, which also runs on ones and zeros, that concept seems like it might line up and you could do things like possibly navigate your computer hands-free. Right? Dude, I, I don't even have anything to say to that because I don't know – I don't have the words to like explain like how that works. <laughs> you know, it's like how do you program that? Like how do you convert you know, the, the electronic impulses that are going through your brain into you know, these, these other pieces of electronic – yeah, into these movements? There's a video even, of a lady way beyond. who's quadriplegic and you know how when you're like on a console and you have to type – yeah. You, you have to like move the mouse and like click on the letter. It yeah, kind of yeah. sucks. It's really slow, but if you're playing PS4 or whatever, that's just the way you got to do it. There's a lady that's doing a similar thing. She's in a chair. She's totally quad quadriplegic, like no movement except for I think a little bit in her neck. And she's looking at a screen and she's hooked up to a harness, like a brain harness. And she's able to move the mouse and click on letters with just thinking, with her mind. Very, mm -hmm. very rudimentary. But if that gets dialed down to something that is more intuitive and maybe a little bit like I, I don't know how they, I don't know how they do it but they can do that at least there's someone yeah, out there yeah. doing that so if they can do that how do you know you can't shrink that down to your phone have a pair of contacts that are giving you a heads-up display of your phone and you and like you just have to think and you can move and click on your app you're not controlling your phone in a really any deeper way than you are you're just replacing the mouse or the thumb or the finger with an online with a mouse that's controlled with your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. just that no. alone by itself could change everything. Yeah, and it's going to take I think it's going to take society a while to to get to that point where we can even fathom you know that that's even something that we could that we're going to be able to use day to day just just like the home computer was for a while, you know. Like we were kids, right? And you you get to use the old I don't even know what the name is, like old those old Macintoshes when you're yeah. in school and yeah, like yeah. that was a new thing, like that whole desktop thing and you're playing Oregon Trail and elementary school you know speaking you of video game memories you're the only person that's brought up oregon trail 
So thank yeah. you. Oh, yeah. That one's classic. Yeah, right? Oh, man, that was fantastic. I mean, just the, the scenarios you'd get into and you're like, oh, yeah, your, your sister got diphtheria and died. <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, man. I, always hated, I don't know. I always hated crossing the rivers and I would always choose the calk. Calk okay. the uh, whatever. You had options of like to wade through or go around and add miles where you could caulk it and try to float, which was the most risky. But if it worked, it was like the most efficient. And I would just caulk it every time. And then if it fell, I'd just start all over until I could get a run where the caulk worked every single time. And then I have this awesome score. I need to pull up an emulator of that thing because I can't remember all the details of how the game actually works. I just remember playing it a ton in in elementary school. Every week you'd have, you know, once a week you'd have computer class and then they would... So on those like, on those Macs with like the colored yeah. backs, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had this. No, this is like what it was like. Just the green screen, like it was just a green and black. Oh, screen, the pre right? one, yeah, yeah. That's even right. Older those one. were yeah, yeah, super old, man. And I mean, it was like third, fourth grade, something like that. So, man, it was it was super early, but uh, man, it's so weird because as a kid, you're just like you don't even you're not thinking about what the heck this thing is that they're trying to what they're trying to get me to use here. Like, I didn't understand no, what it was at the like, time. Oh, yeah, this is cool. This is neat. I like yeah. this. This is fun. <laughs> you know, it's, I don't know. It's Did you play cool. uh, Number Munchers on those Macs? Do you remember that? I may have. The, no, Oregon Trail is probably the most memorable for me um, on those. But, uh, yeah, I very well have, but I, I just can't remember. So There was, like, an old – I'll try one more. I'll go for one more swing, see if you remember it. There was an old, like, adventure game. But on those Macs where there's two of them, one that was in like a castle, you just like pick the room and go left or right and you had choices. Mm-hmm. Then they came out with another one where you start out like in a carnival and you're shooting dolls and that doll gets transported to like another world and you have to walk around and click on things and figure out puzzles. Does that ring any bells? No, no. Dang uh, it. Because no, I bring like that said, game up all the time and I don't know how to find it. I've tried to find it. Yeah, right. I keep bringing it up. If someone will remember, then I can remember the name and actually talk about it. Yeah, and that's interesting. We went straight to Oregon Trail because, like, that you know, yeah, we were doing that in school. But uh, you know, the earliest memories of my gaming experiences were probably came from, uh, like, was I, I was trying to think back of this when, when we planned on doing the podcast. But uh, it was 1989, probably, and I was probably only four, or five, five years old. Yeah, yeah five years old. Four. But my dad four, had yeah. a computer. He was a computer guy. He was in IT already, and um, he had a flight simulator. It was a F-15 Strike Eagle two. And I've looked it up recently, and uh, yeah, it came out in 1989. Uh, I mean, you look at the um, the graphics, and it's just these flat textures. Like, it's just one color, a one-color texture. And, oh, this uh, looks dope. Yeah, 1989 yeah. MS-DOS. Yeah, MS-DOS, man. So my dad had that, and he had, a, like, an old-school joystick, and he would wow. play it. Because he would uh, – he was doing some – I think he was doing some, like, contract work for the military at the time. And so I don't know. He just kind of he was always interested in airplanes. He always dug. Uh, he, we always went to air shows as a kid. Um, you know, watched the Blue Angels, Thunderbirds, all, all that stuff. Went out to like Point Magoo. Um, where else? El Toro uh, Marine Station. We'd go to all you know all those. And then I remember my dad had the sim, and and so I'd always bug him to play it. You know, nag him and just annoy him to death about playing it. But you know, just you know, you don't necessarily want your kid to go on this on the computer alone but yeah it was cool like learning all those commands like learning how to type in how to start just to, how to start the game yeah and all that was was kind of confusing so yeah ms dos you yeah. had a, you basically had to launch the program you had to do like really simple code like here's the folder here's yep. here's the executable file name launch it yes enter and if you typed anything wrong it didn't work yeah 
yeah, yeah. exactly. And so I, I had a, I used MS DOS for a good number of years there while my dad uh, was there, and that was pre-internet, man. Like that was before I remember us ever getting internet. Um, and definitely, I remember, yeah, yeah. I remember my dad sent me down the first time that we got internet at the house. It was like fourteen point four, whatever the whatever the the, the measurement is <laughs> for. Uh, for internet speed and he's like he was just showing me. i was like into baseball at the time and he's like hey check this out you can see whenever the dodgers are playing like you can see the whole schedule for the dodgers and i'm like what that's insane that's so cool you know and yeah and he's like yeah you can buy tickets on here i'm like that's insane so so yeah what's what's weird i don't think that was till at least like 94 95 do you remember when, when any, internet, uh, more of these ga- like these type of games before I got the internet on PC, because definitely yeah. the first person that's brought oh, this up. Yes, Prince of Persia. Oh, yeah, that's a great Did one. you ever play Prince of Persia? Yeah, oh, it man, was, that uh, was super fun. It was kind of had like really hard, laggy controls, but the reason it was so. Uh, it was a big hit is because they. I don't know if it was the first game that used rotoscoping, but they actually took reference footage of all the moves in video and they just animated over the footage. And so it oh, had this yeah, okay. animation style that was yeah, like really right. smooth that you didn't see in r- traditional sprite animation like Mario or yeah, early yeah. games. And uh, that Those I remember pro- that blowing me away. Yeah, like the way that I'm, – I'm just kind of picturing in my, in my head like the way his legs moved, you know, when you would run yeah. with him. And then like when you had to turn around, like it was this slow turnaround. Um, I don't know. I, I can't remember much about it to be honest. I haven't – and I haven't even thought about it until – now <laughs> it's super hard i remember being like, this is so hard and it had blood i remember it was like one of the first games that had like yeah blood. that's right following like, the spikes edgy that's right yes <laughs> well like they ended up making so, like a movie out of that later right like as it like kind of relatively recently they made a movie yeah. out of it so they ended up making been going for a while i think they ended up making two or three of those early 2d games and then they had a prince of persia uh, a new basically series that started i believe on xbox one PS2, oh, that's right. Prince yeah. of Persia, Sands of Time, and then there was like Warrior Within, and I think there was three or four games, and then they had a Prince of Persia reboot that was like all cel-shaded graphics that came out on PS3. There was like four or five games, and then the movie with Jake Gyllenhaal came out, which I oh wow okay, and that's the, that's the recent one you're talking about. I tried it, yeah. I made it like 25 minutes, and yeah, unfortunately, yeah. It's just it's 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 not weird because it seems like. That would definitely be our market. Like we would be the market for that. If yeah. you know, having played that as a kid, just like a lot of these things are, you know, like Stranger Things and how it's kind of marketed towards like eighties kids, you know, kids from the eighties and stuff. I don't know what what it was with Prince of Persia. I just never, never caught my eye or anything like Did that. Did you never, get into Stranger Things? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, totally, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How, what would you rate Stranger Things? Like solid or like home run? Like not one of your favorite shows. Oh yeah, I mean it's. I don't. I, to be honest, I don't watch too much TV these days, and like too many movies, unless I know for a fact that I'm gonna like it. And that was, you know, Stranger Things is one of those one of those shows. Um, so yeah, I mean the music. First of all, actually, I think I'd read an article about it before it came out, and they were talking about the music. I'm like, oh, why are they making a big deal about this music? And talk about these guys who live. I think they were from Austin, and they were like getting, you know all the they, they would collect all these like really rare synthesizers and i was like oh that's interesting so then and then the show came out and i'm like whoa the music for this is amazing dope. like yeah it's like so dope. every episode we watch we watch the intro for the music yes this is i was like, getting mad at my wife don't skip the intro i like the intro i like the music i like the title sequence yeah just let it play out 
Which is crazy. It. I don't know if you remember, um, I don't know if you ever hung out with uh, Rebecca Thomas, but um, uh, she kind of came from our group of friends, but she directed one of the episodes in season two. What was the name again? That sounded familiar. Rebecca Thomas. Rebecca yeah, Thomas. Yeah, she did. All, she went to, uh, yeah, I think she went to BYU and did all her film school there and everything. But yeah, they had her That's awesome. direct. I can't remember. Well, it's crazy because the episode that they did was like the one where um, Eleven turns like punk rock pretty much. Like she's hanging out with all the punk rock kids in season oh, two. Oh, she goes to like different city and meets yeah. the other girl. Yeah. Yeah. Don't want to spoil it. But um, yeah, yeah. So it was cool because. Becca was like really into punk rock and all that stuff. Kind of that whole group of friends that were into that kind of music stuff. But, um, but anyways, so well, shout out to fame. Rebecca Thomas, dude. Seriously, directing Legit. Stranger Things. That's awesome. <laughs> so, see, yeah, Utah's man. cool. We're cool. We got cool people. Yeah, man. We got Mike totally. Rushforth. He's pretty dope. Nah. <laughs> Did you play uh, on? I had a. I never played this uh, F15, but there's a really similar game that was like a race car game. Since your dad was an IT. Did he have other games or do you Indy five hundred. Indy five hundred yes. race cars. Like I can't remember the I think that's what it was called. Yeah. Indy Yeah. I'm glad you're kind of like sparking my memory with these because I, I for I forgot totally forgot about that. Well, one. I was like always been fascinated by video games and even games I didn't play. I'd always have friends that had different consoles. And I okay. had a friend that was in a similar situation whose dad was a computer programmer for WordPerfect. Oh, okay. And all growing up, I never had a PC until I was basically in college when I got a laptop. Um, all growing up, he was one of my friends. Oh, yeah, this is it. This is crazy. Yeah. That game was fun, man. That was a really cool game. I put a lot – I probably put a lot of time into that. So. Yeah, he had uh, he had this game and he had like a stunt car game for MS Dust. Hmm. Let's see. Stunt car MS I can't imagine that there were too many games – even floating around at the time. So oh, this is it. a lot of people it's probably had similar games, right? Yep. Borderlands Software presents Stunts. I played this one a lot. Holy cow. Yeah, I, I, I guess you can't. Out. I need to share my screen. I need to figure I this out. I'm on the computer. Yeah, check this out. Look up Stunts PC DOS on uh, YouTube. Oh, yeah. Here we go. It's definitely something along the line of Indy 500. It was around the same time. And I had a friend who had basically a dad in the same situation. He always had the best... PC at the time. And what was cool about this game, Stunts, uh, depending on the video you watch, you could build your own tracks based on a grid. So, oh, okay. Uh, it was, and that was that was crazy. PC, back in the day, was killing it, but it just had, the barrier to entry was expensive, and you had to be a programmer. There was always problems. So a lot of kids, unless they had a parent or a brother, yeah. didn't get exposed to these games. Yeah, it was a lot of, yeah, it was definitely a big learning curve for that. But luckily, you know, my dad was into it at the time. So he, he, he got me into that. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, or I, I'm, try, I'm trying to remember what year we got it. It must have been like 90 or 91 when we got our first Nintendo. Yeah, so. that's generally. Did, was there, um, did you play any of the adventure game? Did you keep playing PC or once you got the Nintendo? It was always, like, it was always kind of. Yeah, it was like a running theme, you know, like the the computer because the computer was like somewhat off limits because it was my dad's for work. Yes. So yeah. I was like kind of a special time, you know, it's like, oh, hey, yeah, you can play this game. And it was like under his supervision and he would kind of watch you as you're playing it or whatever. Um, but then once we got this, the, the regular Nintendo, uh, we always called it regular Nintendo uh, <laughs> over the years. But um, but yeah, we kind of when we got that, that was our thing, you know, and I remember being, man, I had to be six, six years old. And, you know, it's going through a pretty crazy life situation where my parents end up getting divorced and we live with my grandparents at the time. So me and my sister lived together 
in my grandparents' house, and uh, my grandma would go play tennis every morning, so my sister would watch me in the morning. So all summer, me and my sister would just play Nintendo for a few hours in the morning. And uh, so that was, yeah, it's weird just thinking about all, you know, those three years of just playing Nintendo. I mean, every summer was full of video games full from of video there games. on out. That's what, for, from there on out, yeah, but yeah. That, that specific three years were really big. What games so. stand out to you in those three years? What would be the big well, three? Obviously, you know, Super Mario yeah. uh, or uh, Mario Brothers, um, Duck Hunt. The the ones that I, man, the one that got me into skating was Skate or Die. Yes. yes. One other so person good. has brought that up. My cousin yeah. had that game. And uh, I liked it because you, like you had like that little screen where you could choose like what stunt. You could go like left, top left, top right, middle left, middle right. Yeah, and they have like a bunch of different versions of. Well, there's skater. I guess skater die one and two mixed up. Let's look it up. But uh, uh that's a good question. Yeah, because I don't remember which one I was rocking. But yeah, they but had they have good. half pipes. They had. Uh, did you ever play California Games? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I played that on Atari, right? Yeah. It might have been on Atari. You had an Atari. Yeah, California. Um, I didn't have one, but I had a friend, a friend. in elementary school who had one, and. Um, I played California games and I remember like, wait, how do I, how have I never, you know, it's kind of a little bit later, you know, maybe yeah. like I was like fourth, fifth grade. And I saw this, that my friend had this cause Atari was kind of old at the time, you know? Um, but I was like, dang, this game is amazing. Like, how have I never played this game? Yeah. California like, games hacky was sack dope. And, yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm watching, actually watching the hacky sack right now. It's, uh, oh, right. yeah. Then they had so surfing. Cool. And, yeah, surfing, uh, yep, yep. rollerblading, the chick on the you know jump over stuff. Yep, there she is. Dude, that's such good. Ga- I don't understand. Man, this game was oh game. yeah, they had the BMX game, and uh, the disc golf. I didn't like the disc golf one. I never really played that one, but no, the rest yeah, I of don't... them I played. And like I said, I didn't put a ton of hours into it just because it was my friend's house and like his mom was kind of strict <laughs> about it. <laughs> so uh, so I only got to play that one a little bit. But yeah, Skate or Die, Contra was a big one. Yep, Contra's a big one. Contra, I'm trying to think, man. Um, ones that like this was one actually, uh, Little League Baseball Championship Series. I think I remember seeing that. I have a okay that little... thing. We uh, so you know fast forward later in like you know fourth, fifth, sixth, you know yep. even middle school. Like we would set up the old Nintendo again just to play Little League Baseball because that's how good it was to us. Like we just we absolutely love that game. So I do remember this. Um... I, I think I had a had a friend that had this in Excite Bike. Excite, yeah, Excite Bike was awesome. I remember loving that game. Yeah, yeah. Excite Bike. You could also build your own. You could build like, ramps and stuff like that, yeah, and that yeah. was like very customizable. And that was yeah, it's very satisfying in that regard. I remember. So, so those are kind of the big games. How long did you have? Is there anything that you remember on PC that you did get a chance to play, even though it was sort of off limits during this time? Um, that's all. I, that's all. that's kind of ringing a bell right now. Um, but the theme here that kind of started in nineteen, you know, in eighty nine, was the flight simulator. The flight simulator. Like the military I, flight sims. That's I do kind think of that, that that's sort of poetic because I know you got into flight simulator in college. I remember you and Josh Dickens. Like, oh, that's right. Yeah. So I thought, like, okay, it's going to be flight simulator. In college, that sort of prompted him, but I wasn't expecting you to be like that. First memory was going to be oh no, it, early on full so circle, baby. Microsoft Flight Simulator '95, so that was a big one I played, um, and I think I I'm trying to think when I got my first laptop. I was, gosh, man, I must have been like a freshman or just 
maybe like a like eighth grade or something like that. And I remember I installed Microsoft Flight Simulator 95 and this other one called Falcon 4.0. So I'm skipping a generation here because there's a whole like Super Nintendo phase in here too and PlayStation 1 phase. But, That's fine. We'll get um, to it. We can go back to that. But, um, but yeah, for the Flight Sim stuff, um, Microsoft Flight Simulator 95 and Falcon 4.0. I remember being a freshman in high school and for spring break, you know, you had the whole week off or whatever. And I remember spending an entire week in my room alone playing Falcon 4.0. You know, it's F sixteen, and I mean, still to that day, what's so crazy? I, I don't know. We can look up when that when that game came out, but um, that game is still around today, and there's still a cult following, and they're still updating it. So they released all the code, they like let it out uh, to everyone, and so what? So there's just guys that like put in their own time and put in their own, you know, put in their own free time and their skills and knowledge, and they have made it and updated it enough to where they can still play it. And they have like the uh, the campaign system on there is just the most amazing thing you could you know as far as flight sims go. Um, I you know I still have it installed and I'll play it every once it in a while. It looks but uh, pretty cool even though it's old. Like the way the cockpit is sort of a two D render. Then they have like a crude three D model for the plane when you zoom out, and then it looks like they have some low res like actual satellite footage mapped on the ground. Like it yeah. looks it looks pretty cool. Yeah, those that was probably the one of the bigger flight simulators for me. Um, but then now, now they've kind of, uh, as they've kind of, uh, the, the new iterations are called Falcon BMS. If you look up the Falcon BMS, you can see what they've done with the graphics and the newer graphics. It's good enough. I mean, it, people kind of, that's kind of their gripe with it. You know, people who are into military flight sims still, their gripe is that the graphics aren't as good as another one that we play called DCS, Digital Combat Simulator. I'm checking um, out Falcon BCS right now. This looks... Oh. Uh, yeah, BMS. Yep. BMS. Yeah, it's like what the cockpit looks amazing. But isn't that crazy? I, it's just a cool it's cool that like they they released all that code at one point, you know, Micropros who made that um they ended up uh releasing all that code and they just let kind of all the release that to people and they they did their thing with it and, and you know all the people who are messing with that code now like they they're not getting any money for it. They're just yeah. they're doing it for the for the for community the so. For the love of yeah, the community. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we can we can get into flight sim and we can go back to SNES and PS One, but the it seems like from you and Josh in college and you following the flight sim and the fact that there's these games where you have these community projects. How big is the flight sim community? Like how many? I mean, I know businesses use it, I guess, and airlines use it to train. How many people are playing it as a hobby? So, and this kind of goes back to, I, I'll kind of backtrack here. Um, I was already working for the airlines um, in like 2012, 2013. And I uh, I got into a game called Arma. Arma 3. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think what year it came out. Like 14 or 15, I think. Uh, and when that came out, I, I was like, I just kind of started playing again and started um, taking my computer on the road. And then I got into a Milsim group, which basically like they're super serious. I mean, they like you get in and they have like, veterans you know military veterans they get in there and they they know the tactics and everything and you get in there and it's like it's amazing because that's like a military simulator but on the ground you know with like ground troops and stuff and i remember thinking man this is cool like the organization that they put together and um you know the the fact that these military veterans are able to use their real world experience to teach us who don't have that experience how to do these things and then they tell their stories of being in afghanistan and iraq and all this cool stuff and, um, it, you know, after doing that for a year or two, uh, I got the, I'm like, wait, 
I, I used to be really into flight sims and I've always been on and off with flight sims. Like you saw in college, right? Like yeah. that I was, I was using those um, during my training. Um, but then I was like, well, I, you know, I think I feel like I have something to offer here in this area now that I'm an actual airline pilot and all that stuff. And so, uh, you know, what is the, um, what kind of fascinated me pretty quickly, uh, pretty early on was, uh, what's the potential with this technology, you know, like, like that something that we might consider as a game and f- a fun thing to do online, right? To fly together and to do these things. How realistic could we make it to to real life and what we do? And could this be uh, of of value in training, right? So I had this whole idea. I had this whole business idea that I came up with to to teach guys online remotely. And while it wouldn't count for real life. Um, you know, experience or anything like that, but to work with a real certified flight instructor, which I had, I had done, I taught people to fly real airplanes. Um, could I do this on the computer and do it justice and, 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 and actually have some value, add some value to them, to people who are getting into their own training, right. Into their own real world training. So, um, you know, could I prepare this guy like Josh, he went to ATP school, which is a accelerated flight training school, um, which is kind of regarded. It's, it's pretty difficult to get through once you're there. Cause it's just, you eat, sleep, and drink yeah flight training you know so it's a lot you know and a lot of kids that go there don't necessarily know what they're getting themselves into so if you could have spent a little bit of time you know maybe just you know maybe just a couple months uh and a few hours you know a a week with a certified flight instructor in a flight sim you know how beneficial could that be to you before you actually walk into flight school so the idea is basically like if I'm interested in becoming a pilot or maybe I'm a really enthusiastic hobbyist with, with some money, some disposable income, I can get online with you in real time, share my screen, whatever, play flight simulator and you can walk me through what everything is. And yep. Assuming – because it seems like these flight simulators are – how accurate are they to actually flying a plane? I mean, it's pretty dang close. I mean, it's, I mean, besides the, the, there are limitations obviously, but you know, I mean, as far as the feel, the kinesthetic senses that you would feel in a real airplane and the, you know, the G's that are pushing on you and things like that, like there's definitely, you can't replace that. Um, they try to, they try to mimic that right. In these full motion simulators that I train in. And that was the idea that I'm like, wait, when you sit back and think about it, I, you know, my, all my initial training in the airlines was in a big simulator, right? They, well, you go through ground training and you go through a couple weeks of ground training and then they put you in the simulator for a couple weeks as well. And then you get, you go through hours and hours and training and, and going through failures. And it's, you know, the whole cockpit's all laid out just like your real cockpit would be with some limitations. Right. But, um, I'm like, wait, all we're doing here is essentially playing a video game. And, and, and what kind of like gave me that, you know, what made me realize that was one, one time, you know, I'm trying to work on this maneuver, let's say a single engine ILS, you know, so you're trying to, it's simulating that you've, you failed an engine on the airplane and you're trying to come in to, to shoot an approach and land. Um, very common scenario that we deal with in the, in the big simulators. Right. Um, I'm like, one guy was like, okay, Hey man, like just, just relax and just play the video game. That was his advice. And you're like, yeah. Oh, like I know how to do this, you know? Okay. Let's just do it. And let's just play the video game, you know? And so, yeah, then that's what you, you know. That, so that's kind of like something I still kind of tell myself when I go into the sim. Like, oh, don't overthink it. Don't over, you know, analyze all this stuff. Just, just play the video game. And you know, I would kind of tell my wife that sometimes because um, you know she's not super fond of video games. And uh, <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, wait, surprise, I am a pilot. surprise. This is yeah. This is what I say. And I'm like, 
I am a pilot because of video games. And I'm, you know, I consider myself a, a, a good, decent pilot because of video games, because of the hand-eye coordination that it, that it takes and the, you know, quote unquote multitasking that, you know, yeah. you kind of have to, you know. So the, the, have you ever, that spe- specific scenario that you were training for in the sim, have you ever had that scenario in a real flight? Not that specific one, no, but I have had real emergencies happen um, and that have helped. And the simulator can help for those situations because when you've experienced them beforehand and you've seen, you know, how to, how to handle those in that, in, in that situation in kind of a closed environment. And then when they happen in real life, you fall back on your training. You, you know, what's the quote that like, you don't, you don't, uh, you kind of fall back on the level of your training. I, yes. I don't know what the, I'm pushing Under stress, that. But, uh, you go whatever you have ingrained in perfectly. Exactly. You, so if you haven't practiced happen. it or, you know, you don't, you don't really know how you're going to react, but, and even then, you know, when you go through the training, you always wonder, hey, how am I going to react in real life? But yeah, and in those situations where I've had an emergency, it, uh, you know, I've, 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 I feel like I've reacted or, you know, dealt with them very well. And... Well, you're not dead. So obviously you did something right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, exactly. So that's but like... simulators. Absolutely. That's I mean, huge. You know, and, and, and at this time when I, when I was kind of making that transition from that, that Arma game to, I was like getting these ideas about how I may be useful in the flight sim community. I started looking into um, the different communities that were going on and I found Twitch and I didn't even know what Twitch was, but I found Twitch in my research um, ah. that I was doing for that. And I found, oh man, there's this whole world of flight sim guys that are super serious about it and, um, and they're good at it. You know, they're all computer guys, a lot of engineers just from all walks of life that they spend a lot of their free time on the computer doing flight sims. And I was just, I was baffled at how much these guys knew about aviation. You know, yeah, I went to, I have a degree in aviation, you know, and that's why I know these things. Right. But these guys have, I mean, they might as well have the degree that I have or even more because it's their passion and they learned it all through the computer, which is pretty insane. So, so that, that um, kind of makes sense why you think, okay, a valuable product would be if someone is either really enthusiastic or thinking about joining flight school, if you, if, yeah, if you go into – now that I understand how accurate these are or effective they are to replicating real-life flight situations, if you have 1,000 hours on the, the sim, that translates to almost 1,000 hours before you even go into, into flight school. Yeah, somewhat. Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, discount real experience, you know what I mean? But um, like definitely like your experience, real experience in whatever – thing you're doing really does matter right but but you know the time that you spend in the sim is is super valuable in that regard too it's very valuable in in what i do every day to day right and so this is what's crazy is that the faa right the the governing body for aviation in the united states they think that that simulator that i use when i get trained for work is so realistic and so immersive and so um such a powerful educational you know educational tool that my very first flight in the jet, right? I mean, I've never flown a jet before, right? At this point, my very first flight in the jet is with paying passengers in the back. Oh, like, so I don't you, just, do, you don't even get like a dry run for your first no. time. Now, you know, now in that situation, you have a special captain who has been trained to teach in the jet, right? Yes. But I've gone through all my training, all my flows, all my uh, all the procedures and everything, and it's very choreographed how to get that plane up and running and, and do a, a flight from point A to point B, right? Um, 
But the FAA, they think that those full motion simulators, they call them level D motion, uh, level D simulators, are are accurate enough, uh, accurate enough to to where I could jump into the jet and fly paying passages in the back on the first time. Um, and I don't think a ton of people realize that. And it's, you know, I'm not saying that because it's scary or anything like that. It's totally safe. I mean, it's, like I said, there's definitely a special captain. There's someone there with you who's training you yeah. that day. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's your first your first flight is with paying passengers in the back. I'm uh, watching so. some footage of this Level D. It's like a full cockpit and all the windows. It's like an amusement park set up, you know, like full yeah. machine. This is awesome. And what's so weird to me is that, the graphics in those simulators, I mean, they're huge. I mean, they're pushing these these graphics to these huge screens, right? But yeah. the graphics on my computer, right, on my computer-based flight simulators, I feel like are more, they're high, higher fidelity, higher than, fidelity. Yeah. than those full motion simulators, which is crazy. So as far as the terrain goes and all that. But, you know, you can't really replace. Some guys, they'll build full-on full, full on sim pits in their house with all the knobs and yeah. switches and, and get it super accurate. I, I, I don't have that. Most guys don't have that that are into flight sims. But I've never seen someone with like a hydraulic sim pit like this where it's on, you know, can mimic the movements. But my drum teacher growing up uh, was this hardcore Microsoft flight simulator fan. And I was always building him new rigs because he didn't know much about computers. Oh, but he had money. So and I was like, ah, I'm going to build a new Microsoft rig. What parts should I get? I help him put his gear together. And then he would get it set up to a bunch of stuff I didn't understand. But early days, we're talking like 90s, early 2000s. He'd oh, have, wow. Okay. He'd have like three, like six screens wrapped kind of set up in a mock pock cockpit. And he'd have like foot pedals and sh- and all these things like peripherals. And he would – yeah, he went deep down the – the flight simulator rabbit hole. And I think he ended up taking like what are those little tiny propeller airplanes called? Like private, oh, yeah, just like yeah, single engine, uh, single engine, yeah, Cessna or whatever. Yeah. I think he got into those small. Like he got a private flight instructor and would fly those little planes. That's crazy. It's crazy. So, but I thought he's the only person I knew. I just thought he was one dude. But that doesn't surprise me on Twitch. You're going to have this. Any yeah, there's a community for every game and every Absolutely. hobby now. Yeah, and it's weird because you kind of just have this language that you speak with each other, and you know, it's even the guys that are doing it for in real life, you know, can get along, you know, really well with the guys who have who don't have one hour of real flight time, but they've spent a ton of time in the sim. They know all about they how can to hang. Fly these planes. They, they can, can hang, hang, man. And, yeah, that's yeah, awesome. It, that's what's so crazy is like you know these guys that I was meeting as I was doing this research, you know, uh, was it was just impressing me so much how much they knew about flying. I'm like, damn, dude, these guys like, man, like knowledge wise, like. They know more than me. What the heck, dude? Like, and I do this in real life, you know. Um, so it's just funny. Like, there's no real limit to the knowledge that you can pick up through the computer and and whatever it is you want to do. But uh, yeah, so I started kind of learning that and picking that up. And then you know, I started coming across these these add-ons for for flight simulators. One in particular, probably the most beneficial for real-world flying, I would see it um, is this um, this company called Pilot Edge, and I they offer real-life air traffic control services for flight simulators. Yeah, so if you pull up pilotedge.net, you can kind of see yeah. what they do. But um, basically, it's just this piece of software you download. It connects with either Microsoft uh, Flight Simulator 10, uh, X-Plane, or um, even now Digital Combat Simulator, which I help uh, do the testing for. Oh, um, so you have to actually work with like a, a simulated traffic controller while you exactly. play your sim. Exactly. So I have to, you know, when I spawn in the oh. airplane, I have to spawn in the right spot on the airport. I've got to know 
how to talk to air traffic control. I have to dial in the right frequency on the in the airplane. I have to have the the real charts out, you know, just like I would in real life. And here I can talk to a guy who is trained just just as much as a real life air traffic controller. Some of them, some of the guys that actually do it are real life air traffic controllers, and some a lot of them aren't. They're just enthusiasts. Yeah. That, that are, um, but they're really, really good at it, and the um, the realism is just insane. But uh, when I found that, that really changed everything because I knew about it. I knew about another product called VatSim, uh, which is the same idea, but it's kind of more open source, and it's it's not. Uh, I wouldn't say it's cool. It's a, definitely a cool thing that they put together, but um, but someone actually monetized it and called it Pilot Edge, and it's the 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 product is much much better. So the end product, because, you, you know, as far as if, you, if like, let's say UK, we're going to go, hey, I want to I want to get my private pilot's license. Uh, I'd be like, OK, let's set up your simulator and let's get you on pilot edge. So to invest, you know, you invest twenty dollars a month in this um, in the subscription for this service. And um, what it'll do is when you get into the real plane, you already know how to talk on the radio with real air traffic controllers. You already know exactly what to say. And, and there's been countless um testimonials and kind of you know examples of this and i've seen a lot of i met a lot of these guys i've seen a lot of these guys who who started out on a simulator on the computer i've met them on you know before they ever had one hour of flight time and then they go get in the airplane and they can do everything you know uh there's still some things they have to learn and you know and you know as far as how the you know the feeling of the airplane and, and different things but a lot of that um like they've already kind of overcome a lot of that the, those difficulties in learning so so the kind of the payoff here right let's say because it's 40 hours is your minimum that you have to have to get your private pilot's license there's all these other requirements within that but you know the lower that you keep that you know the, the less it costs right yeah so there's definitely a cost savings there um if you're looking you know to me if you're looking to go make it as a career or whatever you can get through your training quicker because you've used these computer-based solutions so yeah, that it's interesting. That's the common theme with the internet is it's good for most industries, but the barrier to entry or the barrier to knowledge and quality knowledge is like people always joke YouTube University. But yeah. every time someone's asked me, Oh, I wanna do a pod you do a podcast, or I wanna learn about doing music, should I go to this? I'm like, No, do not go to school. Do not do anything. If you have any sort of discipline, just start watching YouTube videos. Yeah. Like yep. you can get top tier, like top, 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 top tier music production instruction for absolutely free. Absolutely. Yeah. And then same thing with, with, um, with flying and becoming a pilot. There's so many videos out there and there's so many, uh, you know, I know other, I've actually met a lot of other real pilots that fly for the airlines, fly for corporate, uh, gigs and stuff like that, who, you know, have had, that's how they got into flying was through flight simulator stuff and made good friends with these guys and, um, yeah, I've got, a, I got some stuff in the pipeline that maybe you can link up later, but you know, with Twitch and all that. And cause a lot of these, a lot of these flight simulator guys, they, they value what we bring to the sim. While I might not be as versed and know my way around the computer as much as some of these engineers and programmers and all that stuff who are into flight sim, they help me with that stuff. Right. But I can help them be like, Hey, this is kind of what we do day to day. This is how we would do things procedurally in the plane yeah. that I fly. Um, this is how things work or whatever. Um, there, there is a level that, you know, we can kind of trade information in that regard. So, uh, yeah, super cool, man. It's so you, you're fun. basically what you're saying is there's guys out there that are hardcore enthusiasts that are interacting with you, people like you and yep. this 
this pilot edge and with Flight Simulator, and they have so many hours, is they if they wanted to make the transition to a commercial pilot or a private pilot, they could basically they could get it done a lot quicker and easier. They're they're pretty much already there. They just need to connect it with some real life experience. Exactly, and that was the idea that I'd come up with, you know, and and, and I've kind of abandoned the you know the whole business side of it. But um, why would you do that? It's such a good idea. It. it makes total sense it is, to me. There's still limitation, though. You know, there's still limitation with some of the technology, um, and that's with the remote. Um, it's it's shared cockpit, so the ability to go and sit in the actual airplane with another person and have all of the buttons synced up and everything, oh, all I that. See. There's still some limitations to that it's it's getting better, but uh, at the time, five years ago, when I was thinking about this stuff, there was some limitations with it. Um, Could you do something that, like this, really rudimentary, where? They just screen share while they play the game and you just tell them what to do? That was one of the solutions, yeah. yeah. It was one of the solutions that we had come up with. I wasn't too jazzed about it, uh, but I've done that before. Um, yeah, and using that as an educational tool. Like, I don't, I don't want to downplay that because it's definitely very, very powerful. Um, but it was just one of the roadblocks I kind of ran yeah. into. Uh, and I'm not a programmer and all that, I, to, to be able to, to – to, to, fix those problems basically so but they're getting there they're if definitely you had getting some there. money you could you could possibly build like a a vr mod for flight yeah. simulator where that you you and if you both had a vr set then you could sit in oh is that oculus yeah, uh, yeah the rift s i picked it up yeah yeah and you, you made the sim with it flight simulator yeah so i i use that one basically for uh this other one called digital combat simulator that i fly and they just, uh, as of this year, they came out with the F-14 Tomcat. So all of us 80s babies, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I'm also a pilot because of Top Gun, right? I mean, um, but so they came out with the F-14. And, I mean, the level of fidelity that they've that they released this module to, like, is amazing. I mean, you have to know how to start an F-14 to, to run this thing. Like, you've got to be able to... To, to know how the systems work, you've got to know how to start the jet, you know, the engines and how to run the, the weapon systems and all that kind of stuff. So, and then what, what's so cool about this module in particular is that they've got the shared cockpit down. So you can have the guy in the back, your goose, right? Your Rio. Yeah. You, 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 you I'm sure, I'm assuming you Dude, saw the graphics it. on this are amazing. Yeah. So this is a, this is another kind of side of the flight sim community. Um, that I, I dabble well, da, more than dabble in it, but uh, that I love. Uh, I do quite a bit of DCS streaming. I have a bunch of DCS videos on um, on YouTube, and this is what was cool. Uh, I worked with Keith Smith from Pilot Edge, who's the owner and creator of Pilot Edge. I worked with him to do a lot of the testing for DCS on Pilot Edge. So what we would do is we go get in and we go get an A10 Warthog, and we could link up to this air traffic control network. Let's say I, I, I spawn in Nellis Air Force Base here in Vegas, and I could talk to a real air traffic controller and be in my real, you know, in, in my very realistic A-10 Warthog and go fly a flight with how, real How procedures. different is this military stuff compared to commercial? Is it a totally new learning curve or is there some overlap? Yeah, it's different. Very, very, very different. Yeah. yeah. Very different. So, I mean, the, a lot of the terminology when you're talking to the air traffic control is somewhat the same, very similar. Um, there's definitely a lot of carryover, you know, a lot of military pilots and air traffic controllers, they go into the civilian world and do the same thing, right? Like a lot of airline pilots came from military. Yeah. Um, that makes but sense. yeah, they're, they're, they're somewhat different things, you know, whereas you're in a single seat fighter, let's say, as opposed to being in a multi pilot 
airliner. It's 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 a different type of flying, you know, especially working with another person and you know, do they call it CRM, cockpit resource or crew resource management. It's this whole science behind how pilots work together and how we communicate. Yeah. Um, but that's that's kind of the powerful aspect that I see with flight simulators and and the technology that we have now is like we can work together on computer. Like that's kind of what I'm working on right now is I'm, I'm working with a couple other Airbus pilots and this shared cockpit technology to to learn real airline procedures that we do day to day and do them in the simulator and talking to real tra- air traffic control and you know teaching these guys who really do want to learn that you know it's it's fun thing you know it's like it's kind of funny because it's like that's what i do for work and then i'm you go home do more. And you just love flying it. baby you love but, it but that's what's cool about aviation you know we don't do aviation because we want to make a ton of money we do it because we love it it's a passion and um to me like if i'm not sharing aviation I, I don't teach anymore you know i taught to build my hours to get to the airlines but i miss teaching so bad i, I really really enjoyed that that aspect of uh, of flying so this is kind of another way for me to be able to maybe teach a little bit i, I mean and i learn a ton don't, don't get me wrong these like i said these guys in, in some cases know a lot more than i do but i can bring that that real world element to them and then they have a lot to offer to me too. Yeah, so so it's a really cool kind of trade off, and uh, 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 you know, with information and stuff like that. So this this digital combat simulator combining with a Rift, a, a VR headset looks. I mean, it looks awesome. Yeah, and so a, a lot of my research, you know, when I was going down, I didn't know where the simulators were at at the time. You know, five years ago when I was looking into this stuff, I didn't know you know, what was the good simulator and where, you know, did this shared cockpit technology even work and and all that kind of stuff. But as I went and I started testing the simulators, I was like, man, DCS is actually probably my favorite simulator. And I, you know, I always leaned towards military flight simulators, even though I didn't go to do the military thing. Um, It was the more fun one to me because it's, you know, people typically like to do on the sim what they don't do in real life, if that makes sense. So, yeah. so yeah, so I kind of um, leaned a lot towards DCS and still still do. But I'm like, but the, but the way that that sim is programmed and everything, I feel like it's it's kind of the mo- the smoothest and best built sim for teaching. And that could be, um, yeah. I wanted to use that one to teach, but they didn't have the type of aircraft that were applicable to what I'm mm. what I'm certified to teach. If that makes but sense. But they already have that shared package thing in VR figured out. Right? Yeah, because you can. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So if, if they if they had the commercial aircraft, that would be a great. Uh, it would link up your two things together. Exactly. That's yeah. kind of the hope. That's my hope is that they come out with some more. They call it general aviation or GA aircraft. Yeah. That are like the you know the single engine Cessnas or the you know the twin turbine engine stuff. I don't know, you know the civilian side of things. They don't they don't have much of that quite yet in DCS. So if you could fly any aircraft from any of the simulators in real life that you haven't flown, what would it be? Oh, that I have, say that again, like so that I haven't wh- flown. Whether it's like military or, or casual or a retro plane, anything that you've played on sim that you're pretty good at, but you've never had a chance to actually fly in oh. real life. What would it be? Oh man. I, I really dig the F-18 Hornet. I think that's like a, F-18. that's an amazing airplane. And that's, they have that for DCS. Um, you know, it's a Navy aircraft. They fly on and off the aircraft carriers. The aircraft carrier is really like an amazing thing to me. And so what's cool is I actually have a video that I uh, put up on YouTube where I, I flew with a guy at my airline 
who was an F-18 pilot, right? And now he's an airline pilot. And I, we kind of connected on sim stuff because he's like, hey, I have I built a sim in my house and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I do this digital combat similar thing. And they're actually coming out with the F-18. Like, you should check this out. And so uh, I got in and I showed him. I got him on Discord. And, I, you know, he's an older guy. So it was kind of like, it was kind of a, a learning curve for him. But I showed him how we were testing digital combat simulator with pilot edge and man he was so impressed like he was just flabbergasted at how far the technology's come you know he, he flew the f-18 in the 90s but anyways that's probably like if i had the chance to go fly one probably fly that one do you of the, of the planes that i've flown in the sim so. with your current simulator experience would you feel comfortable getting in one of those and just going for it um that's a good question um i would know how to start it up that's for sure you know and, and <laughs> There's a lot going on that, you know, as far as like ground crew and things, you know, on the ground that you would need to have in place. So that there's definitely those limitations, but, you know, assuming all those were in place and, and not necessarily knowing exactly their procedures and how they do things precisely, you know, yeah. I could get the thing, I could probably get the thing started and take off if that makes sense. Like, do you know what I mean? Like I could, I, I could do that. Um, but if I really did want to learn it to the level that they do know how to fly it, which is a part a group that I'm in. Um, this is uh, this group called the 57th. Where they try to learn it to that level, where like they're yeah. doing the procedures and they're doing, you know, they're flying as realistically as possible. So I I, I nerd out on a lot, a lot of that stuff, um, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. It takes a lot of study. So a lot of hours that you got to. This put isn't into, casual uh, video gaming. By any stretch of the means. It's not no, casual no. gaming by any stretch of the means. It's not. And what's funny is you, you kind of think like, oh, just, you know, you'll get into like a multiplayer. Let's say you get into a multiplayer server for DCS, which I think is still relatively a, a free-for-all, right? Like you're kind of going around dogfighting and all that. It's not little kids that are in there, right? These are like adults who, you know, have careers, have kids and all that kind of stuff who now kind of have the money to to get all the peripherals and the yeah, joysticks yeah. and the throttles. And I mean, like the warthog throttle system is 500 bucks. It's like four or 500 bucks, you know? So just the throttle system. And then they get these rudder pedals and they have either a track IR. I'll show you this thing here. But uh, This is called the track IR. And what, what is it? Do? Just a little infrared camera. And what I would do is I grab this. This is like the precursor to VR. And I would put this little thing on my hat, this little sensor Oh. And what it does is it sees what my head movements on the computer. And so when I'm in the sim, hold on, let me put this back here. When I'm in the sim, it'll move I can move my head around like this, you know, on the on the bill of the hat. And and it, it it's just so much easier to move around and click around in the cockpit rather yeah, than yeah. having to use the hat on the on the joystick. Yeah, yeah. That makes total so, sense. So yeah, and you can use it for all the other GA flight sims that I fly, all the civilian stuff. But but in particular for this military stuff, when you're dogfighting, you know, and you need to turn around and, and look behind you because you're trying you're trying to get the guy off your six. That's where this comes into play. And then even then, like, and I just barely invested in this, but the VR headsets where it's crazy because the head movements you've got to turn your head 180 degrees to track the guy behind you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or when you're flying formation, you know, like you've got to, you got to keep your eye on the other guy and your head's kind of turned to the side. You know, anyways, I, it's pretty cool. Um, it's a different level, even with the, with the VR headset where you get the depth perception. Cause when you're using the track IR, you just have the 2d panel That's, and you're yeah, trying yeah, to fly yeah, formation yeah. and there's so much, you know, you're trying to do air to air refueling where the depth perception really does matter. So anyways, that's, this is kind of my whole, 
area where I don't have, I'm not an expert in this stuff. I'm not <laughs> by any means. Uh, you but, are so deep down the rabbit hole. You don't even know how deep you're down the rabbit hole, baby. I know. You're I deep. crazy. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's people that are deeper because there always is. But uh, to the average outside person, you are you are balls deep into flight sim. Yeah, it's, right? Yeah, well, it's awesome. And this, is, this is what's crazy is like these products that we're using, right? DCS, um, X-Plane, all, you know, all these simulators that we're using – they're, they've, they're only, they only exist because they were commercial products for big businesses. I feel like, like for, let's say, you know, let's say like I own, let's say I'm Airbus, right? The big behemoth of a, of an aircraft manufacturer, right? Just like Boeing. And I build a big simulator, right? The software that goes in that, right? They've paid all these people, you know, they paid this company to come up with that software, right? But then what these companies typically do is they end up turning that software and they bring it to the market for the average consumer. Um, it's like they could that's, the case with, that's the case with Arma, right? Arma 3, that's what it is. It, came, it comes from a piece of software called the VBS. I and what it is, it's a, piece, uh... it's, a, it's a military simulator. And so what was cool is when in, in the group, this is where I was kind of like, I went down the rabbit holes. One of the guys in our group was a contractor for the army. He was former military, you know, um, had served in Afghanistan and everything. Uh, and he ran the simulator for the U.S. Army, and it was called it's called VBS in in its commercial form. But then what they do is they take it to the market and they called it Arma Three. So I didn't. I had no idea. I thought Arma Three was just some people that were way in. They just set out to make uh, the most accurate possible simulator, but it was totally on the commercial side. I didn't know. It I think you know. I, I you know I'm not an expert in this area either, but I think that like kind of the base code and the base idea of what they were doing came from VBS, yeah. and then they turn it into Arma. So there's a lot of work on that end to get it, you know, to work on a you know regular PC and all that, and get it to the point where we could all use it. But the other big example of this is with Pilot Engine in particular, where they have these commercial accounts where, let's say, there's a a, a, a flight, you know, a, like I was talking about, full level D motion, full motion simulators, right? What they'll do is they'll pipe pilot edge comms into those big simulators, uh, right? And then they'll run scenarios on those guys. And they'll, you know, that's that's the one piece that's missing with the airlines as far as that element of realism is that we don't have realistic air traffic control com communications in those big simulators. So that's kind of what pilot edge, that's kind of their real big... Uh, push, you know, and, and where I think they make the majority if, of their if, money. If they, get, if they get adopted by all the airlines, they're making some cash. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah and they're going to yeah. grow. And that's like, I would love, I, I would love to see them grow. But, you know, it's taking, a, it takes, you know, airlines are trying to penny pinch, you know, just like any other business. But uh, some of the other smaller, I feel like smaller businesses have kind of seen the light and seen the power that the air traffic control, you know, that air kind of service can can do for their pilots so hmm. but anyways this is just an example of what the power of these of this technology and and how we're bringing you know video games kind of into the real world and how we interact with it i don't know it's, it's just really fascinating to me i, I wanted know. to ask about so i heard a little bit of chatter on a handful of podcasts about the two boeing planes that went down semi-recently like the last year or two and from yeah. my understanding, it was a software update that was pushed combined with a malfunctioning some sort of part that said how the plane detected it, where its angle or its levelness. 
and the two yeah. of those together made the plane think that it was going up or like not going the right direction. So it, they took off and they went right back down. And I heard this podcast all about they were they were talking about just software and AI and society all running on clouds in the future and the sort of things that can happen. And they just used this particular example of. Because they also talk about Tesla and how every Tesla is connected uh-huh. to the cloud and they know where you're at yeah. and all this stuff. And that that's really good and safe. But then you also have this problem where sometimes a bug can happen. Soft, all software has bugs. And things like this are going to continue to happen. And we're probably going to have to develop new ways of pushing out software for things like planes. Like with yeah. a lot of redundancy and a lot of fail-saves. Yeah, and a lot of that does kind of go over my head. Um, but yeah, I mean that whole Max debacle with Boeing and everything. You know, I'm not by any means the uh, you know uh, an authority on this or anything. But the MCAS system was what was going wrong with them, and it was it was thinking that the plane was stalling, and so it was trying to. It, what, what it is is it's a protection system that they built into the plane, which the you know Airbus is kind of renowned for this is that they have these protection systems in the plane that that well basically if we made a big mistake it can help us you know it can help us like give us some time to recover from a specific situation right or not get us into big trouble whereas boeing for the most part like they've kind of stayed away from these things but that's that's where the technology goes right so this is kind of a newer system for them and it it was obviously going wrong you know it was it was confused the system was confused and it was thinking that it was it was stalling when it wasn't in fact stalling and it was trying to lower the nose on them where, and it wasn't allowing the pilots to override those systems. So we're taught to be able to override those protection systems if need be. Um, so yeah, that's what it's I wanted kind of to ask. Whole, Cause like, yeah. wouldn't you always want to have a loophole where the, if you have a computer system, wouldn't you always want to have some way where the pilot can manually control everything? And why yes. wouldn't they have that on this newer software update? Yeah, I'm like I said, I'm not the authority on that. I, I probably should stay away from from commenting on that altogether. Uh, but but I wanted uh, to ask because we I went to Italy <laughs> with my wife like pretty quickly after that happened, and she yeah. was freaking out, and I just started getting to my paranoid brain, and I was just <laughs> like, and I remember I'm like, okay, if the same thing happens, it's going to happen right after takeoff. So uh, we did take off and we started going in that first like 20 minutes. I did it did give me some fear. I was kind of like. <gasps> Oh, I love my kids. I don't want to die. Please don't die. Please don't die. And then I eventually got over it. It was fine. But sure. No, and it's just one of those things. It's like, it's when you're not, I think there's two aspects to this. And I, two theories I have as to why people are so afraid of flying uh, is because one, they're not in control, right? It's like being a backseat flyer and you can't even see out the front. Like that's what kind of messes with me even sometimes. Like I can't see out the front. I don't know what's happening. So what's happening. And then it's a, it's a thing that they don't understand, right? They don't know how to operate that airplane. They don't know how aviation works. They don't know how air traffic, how the air traffic control system works. There's so much, so many unknowns and so many mysteries to it all that. Yeah, man, like that's going to be kind of scary because you don't know how, how it works. But once you, once you understand how it works and you realize to the level that we're trained at, um, um, you know, you realize that there's all, you know, there's so many different redundant systems. There's so many, um, things that you know there's mistakes that have happened that we're that we've already learned from i mean it's man knock on wood i think in the u.s we haven't had a you know a fatality in a long time uh i think the last one was that southwest one uh where the you know the it was just a freak thing that happened that yeah um where that you know that lady got pulled out of the window but anyways you know 
It's uh, very, very <laughs> no big safe. deal. She just flew out of a window up in well, the atmosphere. Well, <laughs> I didn't mean, mean to talk about that. So <laughs> I know, I'm just kidding. But a yeah, very I, serious thing. But um, I think a big thing that scares people, at least for me, is uh, I know statistically, and I was trying to talk to my wife about it. Look, look, you're way more likely to get in a car wreck. Absolutely. Like by by a, by a magnitude of hundreds of whatever, log, rig, 10, I don't even know, by a lot. Yeah. Way more likely. But In fact, I'm, I'm more nervous to drive on the freeway around yes. all those other cars. And that makes sense because you you are actually flying a lot and nothing happens. You have this experience where the average person flies occasionally, but they drive all the time. And even though you know, you hear the statistics, I know that driving is statistically more dangerous. I'm driving every day, nothing happens, and I'm used to it. Yeah. And so I've, like, I'm, used, I'm used to taking that statistical risk and realizing most of the time odds are going to play out on my, on my behalf and everything's going to yeah. be fine. But when you're not used to it on the plane and you also know, okay, it's one in a bajillion chance. But if it goes wrong, it goes wrong. Yeah. Where people do occasionally survive even really bad car crashes. Definitely mm-hmm. fender yeah. benders. Where is someone surviving a plane crash? I'm sh- I don't know the history. I'm sure it's happened. But it happens a lot less. Yeah, because there's a whole element. You know, there's a whole different element. There's a whole different uh... – yeah, the, the whole 3D element, <laughs> you know, yeah. and now you're in the air, you've got a whole different thing going on. So, you know, the whole velocity thing, I mean, it's just, there's, there's a lot of physics, a lot more physics involved in that, obviously. But, um, but yeah, you're right. Statistically, it's so much better than, than driving or riding a motorcycle or, or anything else on the ground. So uh, it's, it's probably not safer than eating McDonald's, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. It probably is. I mean, if you think about how many safe. flights happen every day and how many people fly. Thousands and thousands yeah. of flights every single day that get safe to their destinations. And like I said, in the U.S., you can look it up. I, I don't have the data on that off the top of my head. But it's been it's been years since we've had anything happen to a U.S. carrier, you know, here in the, here in the United States. Um, internationally, it's a different story. But, um, but yeah. So, Did you ever play Pilot Wings? Pilot Wings. Is that, was that on? Uh, That's SNES and 64. Yeah, I think there's I one on GameCube, uh-huh. but I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, PlayStation. I was going to mention these. You know, PlayStation One Ace Combat. That, I started on that series. That whole set uh, they're series still is coming really out. Well known. They just came out with the Ace Concept, uh, Ace Combat Seven. You know, and I, I had friends that were playing that. And, so and you really were playing. It, you were so. even into this stuff before the Sims. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I was playing Ace Combat. I'm trying to think what else. What other like kind of flights in like Star Fox? That was a cool one. Yeah, Star Fox was pretty cool. But was was Star Fox on Super Nintendo though? There was one no, Super was on... and sixty four, and I believe there's that's a, what it was. Yeah, the the Super was one of the very first games, or if not the only game that was commercially released. Um, the cartridge actually had, I think they called it the Z chip, because Star mm-hmm. Fox had some really rudiment, rudimentary like three D graphics. Okay, and uh, the reason that the SNES couldn't pull it off by itself, but the way they pulled it off is they actually put a chip in the cartridge that did a lot of the processing and then sent that information to the SNES. Um, and that was a big deal. Like when Star Fox came out, I believe PS one might've come out. It was at the tail end of yeah. uh, the SNES life cycle. Uh, but uh, it was one of the first times like you had three real 3d graphics in a, yeah. a household console. For some weird reason, I never owned Star Fox, but I had played it, you know, at friends' houses, and I really enjoyed it, and it was really cool. But I, I and I can't remember. I don't know why I didn't own it. Um, there's no, really no reason why I didn't. Maybe as I had already invested, maybe I'd already gotten a PlayStation One, 
I, I don't, I just don't remember exactly why, but, uh, yeah, I'd never gone. And I, I never had a 64. So I just had that right when I, yeah, I went from SNES, um, and some games on there, like, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball, nice. uh, Madden, Madden 98 and all the sports games that you play and FIFA's and hockey, NHL hockey. Uh, all those EA sports games were, were fantastic. So Street Fighter 2, huge, huge one throughout the years. Um, you know, I, I, I think back to all these games and the, like, what it's making me think of is like, I hear a lot of my te- my friends that are in the tech industry. They're like, yeah, I started training for my job at 12 years old, you know, like is when you started touching computers and playing with computers and all that kind of stuff. But same thing for me, man. Like, honestly, like the a, a lot of the stuff involved and, you know, I, the only term that's coming to my mind now is like kind of the hand-eye coordination and all that. But, you know, really like playing all those games really got me ready for going to pilot training, you know, being able to multitask and do all the, you know, deal with all these different things um, and, and handle different situations and make decision, you know, decision-making and all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, you really start those things at a lot younger age than you realize so yeah you definitely flex those muscles i think one of the things about i mean obviously video gaming can be addict addictive we probably all know someone sure has yep. got way into a cell phone game and spent a bunch of money or played an mmo but the flip side is is you're also i think subconsciously you're working a lot of these cognitive muscles because every game is built around a rule set and in order to play the game and play successfully, you have to first learn, okay, what are the rules of this game? Maybe you're familiar because it's a side scroll. It's like Mario, so I know it's probably going to be some jumping. But, oh, this one's different. There's a rope or there's a, 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 a raccoon suit. What does that do? Oh, it makes it fly. Oh, that kind of changes up. Well, yep. can I fly here? Can I fly there? What? And you start like figuring out what the rules are and then what the problems are and what you can and can't get away with. And that's, that's like problem solving 101. And I think it happens so naturally with video games Sometimes I wonder, look, the older generation, anytime I try to bring someone in that's maybe not been a gamer or not been computer literate, even if they're my age and they didn't play games, mm-hmm. and, I wanna, and they want to learn how to do marketing online, and I try to teach them or start, start teaching them, and you realize like there is – I think it's simple, and it is simple in a, conceptually in a lot of ways. Get traffic. Get qualified traffic to a website that can convince people to do something. That's what marketing Uh is. But to actually do that, I don't know. I just – I don't know if you had this happen when you try to teach people flying. You have the curse of knowledge and you don't realize how much you know until you try to tell someone who doesn't know anything. And then you're like, oh, my goodness. Like this is impossible. (laughs) Like we're never going to get there. But I've noticed that people with computer skills and video game skills, even they have no familiarity with marketing – they have a familiar. They they are familiar with learning systems. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's all this is. Is you're just learning a system. Well, I've learned a bunch of different. I know how to learn. I've learned how to learn specifically exactly. like closed yeah. systems. Yeah, a lot of video game people that I know that are into video games are very quick learners, and they can pick things up very quickly. And you know, you notice that amongst pilots too. You just notice this. You know, some pilots that pick it up a lot quicker than others, and pick up different concepts quicker than others. Um, and yeah, I attribute that a lot to video games. You know, and I see my, what's crazy is now seeing my kids, you know, being able to raise my kids on this stuff. And there's a whole, we have this whole, you know, our own problems as parents now <laughs> and knowing we how do. to properly raise them because we don't know what this stuff does to them. Right. I mean, we know that, okay, like I went outside as a kid just as much as I stayed at home playing video games. Right. Sort of I in went general. Just, yeah. 
yeah, I would play for a few hours on the on on uh, Super Nintendo, and then I go skate, you know, just as much. And like these days, it's just it's just different, you know. You don't do that, but you know, I'm I, I'm a big believer in Minecraft, you know, for my kids. Like my my youngest, my four year old, I see him, he he gets on there, and I mean, he's doing things like I would. He's four, dude, and he can get in there, and he'll he sits there, and he's he will have a piece of paper because we let all the kids trade off, right? Every twenty minutes, the kids will trade off for their yeah, yeah. on Minecraft, and they'll help each other, and they have a little book, they give them instructions sometimes. But my son, when it's not his turn, he has a piece of paper out, and he's planning out what he's going to build uh, and i'm like oh my gosh like that is so awesome like you know he's a got skill. a little engineer yeah. mind yeah anyway, uh, my family's not a not, not engineer minded but my wife's family definitely is you know my wife's dad you know my father-in-law was a boeing engineer you know built satellites and worked on airplanes and all that kind of stuff and brother works at jpl other brothers in physics and all you know so he's definitely got that going for him and i while I don't necessarily think like that, I'm kind of more on the like open creative side. You know, that's how I learn best and, you know, kind of how I operate. Um, yeah. I just want to foster that within him and kind of notice what, his, you know, th- not just him, but my other, my two daughters as well, notice what their um, strengths are and just foster those and get them. Um, Use the technology to, to get things. more bang for your buck, but also at the same time mitigate any sort of, side effects yeah that's, yeah that's a hard and, and that's a hard task it's yeah it's really really hard to know how to do it and but also to do it in a healthy way i don't i don't know what the right answer is we're trying you know we're oh. we're, we're doing our best because there's, there's not a ton of resources out there to, social media to gives me the heebie-jeebies yeah when i think about my daughters i'm just, it's like oh geez, what oh. like how am i gonna i'm just like okay you're four i don't have to worry about it but I know that this day is coming, and I know that I also think that society in general and culture, like all this technology, you could say we're in the adolescent phase or maybe early childhood phase, and right, this is social media thing happened. There's there's a lot of good things happening because of social media. There's a lot of bad things happening, and I, I'm my what I comfort myself with is like oh, just like everything, we'll adapt, we'll figure out, and then cult, the culture, the people will fig, kind of figure out the way to navigate this, but those people in the transition, there's, there's going to be, there's going to be some bad luck. There's gonna, there's already been sacrifices, right? There's, we have a, a suicide problem with girls in social media and there's some links there. And oh, okay, that's kind of like during that transition, there's going to be some casualties. And, yeah. I, and I think if you're a parent right now, everything's in transition and transitioning quicker. And you, you just have to understand that. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it freaks me out. Social media in particular, I, have no clarity on how I'm going to navigate that. Yeah, the hope for me is that you know science will have like figured this out better as to far as far as what social media is doing to us as as a society. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that like in ten years when my kids are to that point that I mean it's going to be sooner than ten years, so yeah, that's scary. But you know, hoping that it's that we understand it just a little bit better so that we can better educate our children on how to how to navigate that. You know, so. But, uh, well, we have to stay up on that, you know, and we have to stay up on the tech ourselves and we have to, you know, that's, luckily I enjoy it. And luckily, you know, that's kind of what I do in my free time is, you know, if I have free time in the house, I'm going to go play a game on the computer. I'm going to go fly a flight sim or I'm going to go mess around, tweak my computer. I just, you know, that's, that's what I enjoy doing on my free time. So luckily I'm there. I'm, I am reading the studies that are coming out, uh, listening to a lot of the podcasts that are coming out, 
you know, as a pilot, that's what I kind of enjoy too, is I get a lot of free time in airports. And I was going to say, you probably get a lot of podcast time flying. Even just sitting in the back of airplanes too. I sit in the back of airplanes a lot. So I get a lot of time to listen to podcasts and, and, uh, indulge in all that stuff. So what podcast um, are you into right now? I mean, I've always, I always gravitate towards the Joe Rogan podcast. Everyone um, does though. That's part of being, right. That's part of just being a, oh, it, it feels so synonymous the, with almost every, it's rare when I meet someone who doesn't at least like it a little bit. Yeah. But it's the, it's the Oprah for men, right? It is the Oprah <laughs> for men. And like, but like, well, you, you had said something to me a while back when we had a little heart to heart conversation and you're like, you know, you were saying that it was like listening to that podcast was kind of like the father figure for you. And I really, you know, that really resonated with me because I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely, man. Like that was, you know, without idolizing him. Cause I don't, I don't feel like I idolize the guy. Like he's definitely, it's just the way that he approaches things that I really appreciate and the people that he has on and just how he approaches problems and situations. And he feels um, like a regular person that's totally making it through life pretty good. And the, yeah. that's, that's nice to see that and be exposed to that because you also get exposed to a lot of people that are. It's just it's a dumpster fire with a lot of people and it can make you feel like that's inevitable because life can get stressful and you and you feel maybe you're starting to fall apart or you're getting stretched at the seams and it's well hey there are regular people like me out there you know he's a dad he's got kids I remember the first time I listened to him I, I didn't I had listened to a couple other podcasts but I didn't really know what it was. And whatever it was, he brought on – I picked something with a scientist because that's – I found like some title. I'm like, oh, maybe it was – I think it was probably Neil deGrasse Tyson, one of the old, old oh, Neil okay. deGrasse Titans, Tyson yeah, yeah, ones. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, oh, he's asking the same questions I would ask. Like, And he's getting conf- – like he's just as dumb as me. He's getting confused at the same time I'm getting confused. And then he's asking him at the same time I'm confused and asking him a similar question I would ask. So I'm kind of getting a chance – to hang out with Neil deGrasse Titan, Tyson yeah, exactly. via this guy. And so that was really what got me into it. He was like a, a portal to yeah. people that I would never get to hang out with otherwise. Yeah. He's not trying to be anyone else. He's just being himself and trying, but trying to understand the world as just a regular person. You know, it has I turned that, into this crazy phenomena though at this point. Crazy man. Yeah. This podcast is massive. Yeah. That's what's so weird. Yeah. I just listened today. I listened to the Bernie Sanders one, you know, and it's like, what I is did Bernie Sanders? So crazy, yeah. How'd you? What'd Super you think? Good. I don't know anything Great. about him other than that podcast. Uh, yeah, I somewhat followed him on the last round, you know, and I, I, I enjoy what he says uh, without getting too deep into politics here, because um, I'm, I'm probably as neutral and as open as it gets uh, as anyone would get. Um, and, and what's crazy is I actually like I. That's always been kind of my value growing up was that I feel like I was always this kind of, I always had balanced views, right? I could always see. Both one sides. side of things yeah i can see both sides man and like i it's i just can't come to it you know it's hard for me to come to a decision but i enjoy the process of trying to figure out both sides and trying to um trying to understand people right trying to see where they're coming from have that sort of empathy for people right uh and be like okay why do they think this way maybe i don't initially feel this way but why would they feel this way and trying to understand that but anyways yeah so I like it just for the sheer fact of like I can actually listen to the dude talk because when it comes to politics, I don't really know anything and then I just get exposed to what I know is media stuff and sound bites. And and I I know that that's not a a credible 
like representation of what anyone candidate is, right? Because I'm not super yeah. into politics, but I do get exposed to political stuff. And I, but I know I'm, I, have such a, I have such a surface level exposure that I can't really rely on any of the data that I get coming in. But every once yeah. in a while, I'll listen to a podcast. I'm like, all right, well, I know I've heard a bunch of stuff about this Bernie Sanders guy. Apparently, he's a socialist and he's going to turn us into Venezuela and he's terrible, yeah. blah, 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 or the flip side. But I actually just get to let the dude listen to the dude talk for an hour and a half and yep. see if this what makes sense. What I really liked, and I don't know anything about economics, but people will say, how is Bernie Sanders going to pay for everything? And he's like, well, why don't we just tax speculation on Wall Street? Tax yeah. Wall Street gambling. I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like, and that wouldn't ruin Wall Street. It's like gambling tax didn't ruin casinos. Casinos still make an ass ton of money, right? Totally. They still oh, yeah. and they still essentially are predatory business on weak people. That's where yep. the majority of the money. But you can't outlaw that because anytime you outlaw anything, this, this big rabbit hole doesn't work. But you can at least like they're in a way gam like gambling doesn't provide a ton of value to society as a whole. It actually maybe sucks a little bit of value out of society because it preys on people's addictions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But at least you can recoup some of that value by taxing it and then putting that money back into the infrastructure and back into the country. And we're not getting any of that money from Wall Street, apparently. I don't know. Maybe he's full of shit and he's lying. But the way he presented it was, hey, we're not taxing Wall Street speculation, which is essentially gambling. They're making a lot of money. With a small tax, we can make a ton of a ton, a ton of money. That would free us up to be able to do some of the things that I'm talking about, as opposed to what I was exposed to by regular surface-level media, is he's just going to raise all our taxes and take all our money. And that's not what he said so far. I haven't finished the podcast. That's not what he said. Yeah. Well, I finished it, and you know, I think probably the thing that hit home for me most – is hearing someone who who's who could potentially be you know the leader of the free world say i don't know what the right answer is to this issue right I, they were talking about gun That's control refreshing. or something like that yeah. he, he's like i have an idea you know he's like I, you know i have an idea this is kind of the idea of what i think the it, it, how it should start but i really just don't know this is a really really complex issue it's not something we can solve in a 12 second soundbite it's not something that we should solve in a 12 seconds. This is a very, very complex issue. And I love hearing that from, from someone who's running for president because you're not hearing that um, from the other, from a lot of the other candidates. You're not hearing that in the media. That's why, you know, I don't turn the TV on anymore, but if I do, I see it in a hotel or, you know, in a hotel yeah. Yeah, you yeah. Know, lobby or whatever. It's like, dude, it's just ridiculous that that's what's controlling us right now. And and that's where people's perceptions are, how people's perceptions are being molded and and changed right now uh it's it's scary to me you know and luckily i had this professor in my freshman year in college who that was her basic like her whole like purpose in in, in freshman english in college was to show us how deceptive the media was and i'm so glad i had that class because like she was just like yeah this is how deceptive media is and so every from from that point on i could look at a at a news title be like, oh, how did they word this? And where they're trying, they they know exactly how that title is going to make me feel, right? And so, anyways, that's what politics is. It's all this game. It's that's all what online uh, marketing is too. Like the same thing. Yeah. Out. Oh, you. Yeah. You're yeah. Totally yeah. Right. I mean, I I you know that it. that same level of stuff's happening. I know that obviously with with news and journalism, clicks and drives money. And now with the new internet model, it, it's some of it's it's just like. The internet model is sort of rewarding sensationalism because that's what that's what's profitable, yeah, and that's what's going to drive and people are going to push that way. 
Uh, Sam Harris had a great podcast, a couple yeah, podcasts. Yeah, I listen to him a lot too, yeah. With, uh, I think he was a Google exec and maybe Google and Facebook. But his concept he was talking about was all these platforms right now for the most part are optimizing for time spent on site. And not necessarily good time, just like whatever's going to keep uh, you yeah. engaged and keep you on the site and keep you. So since arguments, arguments, sensationalism, outrage, mm-hmm. yep. uh, hardcore right memes, hardcore left memes, ridiculous things. And and it's just like they want more time on site and, the, and it's partially done on purpose. And it's partially the algorithm is like, well, that's what I'm tooled to optimize for. Yeah. So we can serve more ads, and then we also want things that have more clicks, and then, and so, and then some of it's conscious, some of it's, and it all comes together, and it's getting really crazy. And I do like that about Bernie Sanders because he also said along that same time, he said, "Not only do I not have an answer, but I don't think we should not try something. We have yeah. to try our best. Exactly. You have to try. We have to yep. try Absolutely. something. We can't keep not doing something because not yeah. doing something, we know it's going to happen. The same thing that's I, I been think- happening." Yeah, and he's just so down to earth, you know. I think that's that's gonna what's be what's going to be very appealing about him because, you know, there's so many politicians that it's really hard to uh, connect with. On All my right leaning friends are freaking their shit out right now. You socialist asshole! You know what, guys? I don't care. I'm like an hour into it. He hasn't said anything crazy. Maybe he said yeah. crazy things somewhere else. I haven't watched all this, but for the hour that I listened like, to him, he seems pretty rational. Spoiler alert, he's not going to. You know, he's really not going to say anything crazy. You know, it's like, you know, and I have a good friend um, who, okay, I have a good friend who works in a very high level for um, a really famous political pundit, right? Um, very, very high level. And I'm like, dude, how? I know him really well, right? He used to like, my friend used to intern with the ACLU. Okay. Like super left wing. And yeah. he, that's how we were in college. And then now this guy's relatively right wing, right? Uh, this, the guy that he works for. And I'm like, Hey, how do you, how do you do that, man? I just don't understand how you could go and like work for this guy. Like, and he's like, well, you know, it's like, it's, it's a little different when you're at this level. Like it's, it's not as partisan as you think it is at this level where, you know, a lot of those people like, Let's say, like all the people at Fox News and all the people at, let's say, whatever. Uh, I don't know. A Fox, is, CNN, like CNBC or whatever. Yeah. CNBC. Yeah. Like, it's not as partisan as you think. They're actually kind of all friends with each other. They all know each other. It's not as like crazy as they make it look like on TV. Yeah, they're playing yeah. the roles, and there it's all sensationalism. It's about um, it's about entertainment. And that yes. really kind of bummed me out because I'm like, you know what, man, this is like, man, where are we going with this? Because it's, you know, it's kind of what you were talking about. Like, they just care about getting the views and getting the advertising, it's you know, all that kind of stuff. It's not news. It's entertainment. Yeah. Which is it's, hilarious. It's optimized you know, to be entertainment. Yeah. And and I didn't mean to get into this topic with you, but I was, you know, I have a friend who was a good friend who was a pilot for all the Fox News guys. Right. And all the really, really high up Fox News guys, I guess. And they actually were, they're actually all like left wing people but they're playing their role well and it's all about money you know that's that's how i see it i guess but anyways i'm not an expert in this area this is just how i see it well i have uh, one idea and then we can get back to some super nintendo and ps1 (laughs) sure sure. so bernie brought up what i everyone sort of knows is a problem i don't think anyone left or right would disagree that we know that there's some fuckery going on with lobbying and money and that sort yeah. of muddies the water to some extent. Whether you think 
you know, big money is controlling everything to a high degree or big money is just sort of influencing things. There is some scale of big money getting in the way of and people making decisions for those people and the, the common person has no way to really influence policy making because we can't lobby. We don't have money. And um, the other issue is that big money is not paying taxes like he mentioned that Am I did Google this. Like Amazon didn't pay income tax, at least for one year. Yeah, crazy, article. Yeah. Okay, how's okay. that possible? They move money, they reinvest it, they write things off, they whatever, blah, 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 blah. And Rogan asked, like, well, why is – like, how can they? How can that be legal? He's like, well, they're the ones that make the laws. So yeah, they just wrote they it in the law the way something like that. Okay, that makes total sense. So we're not getting any tax – like, our country is producing a lot of revenue. But we're not the, the, the we're not skimming that revenue for the government effectively, and instead the IRS is coming after dudes that are like wrote too much from their construction business for pennies. Yeah. When Jeff Bezos could be even if he paid one percent, some ridiculously small number that wouldn't affect him, or he still have billions. So this is my idea. This is my idea. It may be stupid, and people are probably gonna be like, "You idiot!" But that's fine. At least I'm willing to like – it's scary. It's scary to talk about politics because you know oh, yeah, you're going to get roasted by somebody. Oh, yeah. Hardcore. Exactly. Right, I'm a dummy. So I just admit right now. It could be a dumb idea. But income ta- people have problems with income taxes and all this. What if – and people talk about flat taxes. Like what if they just did 10 percent? No, no, no. What if you did no taxes? No taxes. Nobody pays taxes. You don't pay sales tax. But you take one one-hundredth of a cent – from every transaction yeah. that takes place. So if you're Jeff Bezos and you want to move all your billions to, to Cayman Islands, you know what? Good job. You know what? We're a free country. Thanks for making this big company. Thanks for making millions of jobs. We're going to let you hoard all your money and not pay taxes on it. But when you tr- when you transfer that money, we're just going to take like hard like a tiny percentage. Yeah. Tiny, tiny. Like no one would even notice. It would be yeah. like one one hundredth of a cent, one thousandth of a cent when you buy something. Anyone that makes money facilitating the transfer of money, whether you're a credit card processor, banks, we just tax that industry. And, and every tra- – because well, that's how they make money, right? That's how your credit pro- – they charge a little bit of money for every transaction. Yeah. It's already built into the system. So you're just going to charge an extra no – Yeah, people wouldn't notice it very much. That's no, no, if, I bet – this is just me, but there's billions and billions and billions of tra- money transactions that happen every day. There's 350 million people in this country. Even if you took something as small as one one-thousandth of a percent, I bet that would generate – like that's in- – things I would not even notice. I buy my hot dog instead of 725 it's 725.2 or something. Yeah. Or maybe just seven, uh-huh. maybe one cent. What if we just made it simple? One cent from every transaction. That's That would pay for everything. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are probably – these are ideas get, that get thrown around. I mean, they're very practical solutions, you know, and, and they've thought about them. And there's so many of these ideas I'm sure that would make so much sense. But we don't have anyone in there right now who, who would go and do that because it's yeah, I don't know. It I seems mean, like it would solve I don't know why. I don't it know seems why. like it would solve all the all the people that hate taxes, want capitalism, freedom, libertarian. You know what? Taxation is theft. Fine, I ain't gonna tax you anything. You get to keep all your money. No, we're not even gonna play with write-offs and hiding money. 
we're just going to add, we're just going to take one cent from every trend. And then that's going to make it so we can pay for education. And it's yeah. going to make it for police and whatever, whatever we want to do. I bet, because it's the same idea as taxing what Bernie said, speculation on Wall Street. You're just taking a little bit from this thing that's just pushing money back and forth. Yeah, and all it, the time. it would be nice. I, don't, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, I don't, I don't know about vote for him or whatever, but like to have a guy like that who's just down to earth and has practical solutions like that up in the pipeline, like, and the fact that he's even kind of like, that you notice that he's he's trying to figure it out too, that he's not just out for himself, you know, he's not just out for his buddies, he's out for. Yeah, he did come across that I'm actually trying to solve problems. Yeah. Whereas other politicians, uh, he Rogan had Tulsi Gabbard on. Yeah, she she was really really good, and Yang was, was really good too. Did yeah, you listen Yang to Yang. Was, yeah, listen to all three of them. Um, I think I like Tulsi the most so far. I haven't Sorry, finished Bernie's. There. Uh, my back. Check, I got check, your back. Check, yeah. check, check, check. Uh, <laughs> out of all three of them, I haven't finished Bernie, but I think Tulsi's my favorite. I'd have to go back and re-listen to it to compare it. But the vibe I got from her was just like I don't know enough about all these issues to know whether her solutions are viable solutions or not. I'm not right. educated enough. But my gut told me that she's coming into the presidency with good faith. She's actually trying – her number one priority is to try to figure out how to make things better, whatever's possible. Yeah. And, you um, know, and, I liked and, it. Yeah, getting into the weeds with all this stuff, like I, you know, it's easy to get into the weeds with political conversations, you know, but like – I think what would be important right now is, you know, electing the person with the right attitude towards these things. Because a lot of times, like, I think that attitude is going to affect the entire country, right? I mean, it's going to hopefully kind of like, I don't know, they disseminate their, I don't know, what's the right way to put this? But um, I don't know. I would hope that like their reasoning and their way of looking at things would rub off on the rest of the country. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the like if like Gabbard, very reasonable person. You know, I feel like uh, even Bernie Sanders, very reasonable, down to earth person. I hope that that would that would just rub off on the rest of the country. You know, and that way they would. I don't know. Just that things. Well, would people would say Bernie, Bernie doesn't know anything about economics. It's all founded on bullshit. Blah 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 blah. That's what I thought. And then all I heard him say was, uh, "Let's tax some speculation on gambling." Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's not at all what people told me he was about. I mean, you don't think he has like really intelligent and renowned economists working for him to figure these things out. It's not just him coming up with these ideas on his own. You know, yeah. he has a team of people, Fair point. and that's usually what these people are. They have a team of people that that come up with solutions for these things, you know, and and have ideas and you know uh, think tanks and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot more behind the scenes, and I think that's what that's what always makes it hard for me. Um, when having these conversations is I always know that there's so much more behind the story that you're hearing. Like whatever you are seeing is something that's been spun and water or watered down or whatever. If there's so much that's, that's going behind that, you know, you, you what I, I, whenever I see something come out, I'm like, why are they telling me this? Like, why is this, why is this being spun this way? Or I don't know. It's just, you can't, it's hard to believe anything. <laughs> I think I know how <laughs> really we fix thing. it. I think, we have you ever played Civilization? Yeah, oh yeah, I got it. So the I have it on the iPad. I yeah. play it on the plane all the I time. I think we just take in the, back. the top 100 Civilization players in the world, and we put them in a room and yeah. say, "Start figuring shit out," and come yeah. to us with some ideas. You guys are now the the Jedi Council of 100, and 
<laughs> well, those basics. We're going to turn this I mean, baby sure, around. I'm sure those basics of like turn based play, you know, and like how like the the it's kind of like it's. I feel like it's a very a more complex type of chess, you know. When I you bet you could along this this simulation thing. What if someone built like the armor of running America? Like they tried to simulate running a country to the most granular level possible. I bet you could actually get some value out of that. Like looking at like what happens when I'm sure they have simulators for economics. I think they do, right? Yeah, they're like models. Like I imagine they have like they would. Big, yeah. Yeah, you like punch in information and then it I I don't even know how that kind of stuff works. It's definitely beyond me, but but they're essentially simulators, right? To see how things would play out in with certain scenarios. Yeah. I guarantee there's just as deep of a community of economic simulator nerds as there are flight sim nerds. And we need to, oh, absolutely. we need those people. This like if I if I was president, if I could just be president, I would just I wouldn't try to figure anything out. I would just build a team to figure out who is the smartest people in every area yeah. in our country. Yep. And I'm just offer just whatever it takes. Let's put them together. Let's do that. Yeah, well, come work for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think I think that's what some of these people do. Uh, I think some of them also put their buddies and you know there might people be some who've buddies. done that. Yeah, maybe fit, you know a lot of favorite. Yeah, that's what politics is. I mean, the politics of itself is just favors that you've done for each other. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So, anyways, did you uh, play any RTS games like StarCraft, Age of Empires? Played StarCraft a tiny bit, not too much. I wasn't too much into that kind of stuff. I never got into Warcraft. My brother played a lot of Diablo type stuff growing up i don't know if that's in the same genre but um not too much uh i think yeah no civilization is about as far as i yeah. think into that so I, could, I still really enjoy that i could see you playing civilization that's why i asked i was like hmm if you're playing all these other games i bet you probably got into civ is definitely what it's like a smart kid game yeah, but I'm, you know, like I said, I'm not into those turn-based games necessarily. Like, but but for some reason, that game got you, and the app, and and this, you know, the way that they approach that uh, the strategy kind of thing is is it was really cool to me. So, have you ever heard of a series called like Europe? Europe, uh, it's like Civilization. Europe. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'm actually pulling up my Steam right now to see it's what like I've got. It's like Europe Civil Civilization, and they go. I have a friend that's like says he knows so much history from this Europa series. Interesting. Yeah. Um, because they base it on real, all real history and it's like civilization, but you play as different countries and different time periods. And, uh, I wonder if the military yeah. has like a, a, like a really badass version of command and conquer where you have to manage troops yeah. and like actually <laughs> manage running a campaign in Afghanistan yeah. or something. I bet they do. I'm sure that, I'm sure they use those things to teach people. You know, they yeah. use these simu- you know, these simulations to teach people how these things work and how things would play out in a in a certain situation. Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, my, my my thing with games now, especially as I'm older, it's got to be something that I can jump in and play kind of quickly, which is not what Arma or Flight Simulation is. So don't, like, exactly. Wait, I'm wait a minute. Contradic- all I'm contradicting about- myself. <laughs> but my yeah. other, you know, other types of games that I play are like first-person shooter type stuff. Like uh, I play Insurgency Sandstorm a lot right now. Okay. It's just something I can jump in. You can work together with other people really quickly. You just get thrown into a game with a bunch of other people, and you go through and you work through a co-op and work through these different objectives together and which is super fun. Uh, I, I really, I, I guess I'm really attracted to open ended sandbox style games though. 
uh, like Minecraft, like just how it's all open yeah. and we can create our own community and we can build our own thing. And that's what Arma was for me. Uh, that's somewhat what the simulator is for me, Flight Sim is for me, because like it's it is what you make it put into it. Yeah, it's, it's what, what you put, put into, into it. it. And same with Minecraft, like it's what you what you build is what you kind of end up getting from it, um, and it, it never ends. But uh, uh, one cool one, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Daisy. Have you heard of that? Yeah, isn't Daisy a mod, like an Arma mod? It it was an Arma mod, but they brought it to a standalone. This guy Dean Hall brought it to a standalone, and it's had its hiccups. You know, it's definitely been struggling um, to get up and running. But the concept of it is really cool because, like, you can get out and you run around in this open. It's not even open world. It's just a really big world, and it's it's kind of this like apocalyptic zombie world. And you know, the point isn't necessarily zombies. Like, it's definitely one aspect of like the game, right? It's definitely one aspect of like trying to survive and all that. But it's actually when you encounter other people. It's like a social experiment. Hmm. This is what's really cool about it. Like you, when when I, you don't know, let's say like you're playing and you're on the other side of the map and I haven't seen anyone for 20 minutes while I'm running around in this map and I'm looting things. I'm trying to, trying to build up gear. And let's say like I have a handgun with two bullets, right? And so I've got to like use those two bullets. Like this is a very realistic scenario in Daisy, right? And then, and then I'm like, I see you over by the train tracks, you know? And I'm like, okay, what do I do? Do I hide, right? And just wait till you pass? Or do I try to approach you and try to befriend you? I have no idea how you're going to react to or me. Or do I just proactively right? killed you and not take any risks? Yeah, and the other, well, the other question, yeah, exactly. And the other question is, do I have my gun out and approach you with a gun? Or do I approach you without a gun and I can put my hands up and just say, hey, are you, are you friendly? You know, but also be ready to, to defend myself if need be. It's very, I don't know, it's just a really cool... Uh, social experiment and there's this guy jam jar he's called the jam jar on on youtube and he's this uk guy with a cool accent and he gets on there and this it's really awesome kind of social experience that he does and he has really funny videos of like how he's like come up to people and he'll mess with them and kind of joke around with them but you know yeah you got to come up with whatever your style of gameplay is and i love that kind of open-ended social thing and and this is where games come into play for me late as of late yeah, i remember as a kid like I really wished the multiplayer stuff worked like Falcon 4.0. I remember, yeah, okay, I can get in there. I can fly with other people. But for whatever reason, it was just so wonky at the time. Like it was really hard to get into a server. Like you had to know someone else who even had the game, get yeah. on it, you know, coordinate it on a landline with like trying to talk to them and try to get them. You know, it was really difficult at the time. And I had all these like dreams and kind of um, thoughts of like, man, it'd be cool to get like, you know, like into a big, um, like I had had these thoughts of like being in a World War II game, and like I'd seen this World War II game that 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 advertised itself as like a multiplayer, and you had fifty players in there. And this is early on, like, and I was like, "That's crazy! That'd be so cool! I wish I could do that." But like, I and I think I ended up getting it. But like, you just it, the multiplayer aspect and trying to get connected was so difficult at the time. And now we have that, and now it's so easy to do that kind of stuff. But I'm really attracted towards um, games. That are like multiplayer, where you play with other people so and what you're bring you together me, with your friends and all that. You're telling me you're big into Fortnite. I knew it. Well, PUBG. PUBG, PUBG. is cool. That's the I cool Fortnite. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get a pass. You get a pass. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. I mean, not... Obviously, Fortnite's dope. A lot of people like it. It's just not yeah. my cup of tea. But I did try PUBG. Same. Isn't PUBG an Arma mod originally? I think as well. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it came from the same engine and everything. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, 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 that's a fun one to be able to jump in with your friends. And, yep. you know, I, we actually I got my, so actually kind of hilarious because I played on mobile. And it's like one of the best games I feel like on mobile next to Civilization. Um, that and Minecraft. And yeah, there's like those three games Civilization, Minecraft, and PUBG. But I got my in laws into it, like my sister in law, my brother in law, and all this. Like we were just sitting like at the cabin, just playing that together. It's like, and these are like in laws that like aren't the gamer types, but they I really got them into it, and they're really stoked. But on they can PUBG, get into so. PUBG on mobile. That's interesting. Yeah. Because anytime yeah. I've tried to play, I don't play anything on my phone. I, I usually don't either. But yeah, there's nothing. It's either these. It's either these like sort of art, like RTS light games that have this mechanic that makes you wait yep and i'm they, all they, with you then they want to make yeah. you pay if you don't want to wait or yeah, any, I, any 3d games when i tried to play them like i bought some fps's back when i had like an, an older iphone i got infinity blade which was this like mobile game that had great graphics at the time but the controls were always just terrible and so any time you're like the fifth person though that's told me PUBG is awesome on the phone it's amazing. and i can't wrap my head around how could you control that game on the phone well that's actually what yeah it, it takes a little bit of time to figure it out how to navigate it with your thumbs and then you realize like they've overcome like there's some little solutions that they have in there like a left thumb button to shoot instead of the right cuz they know that you know if you're stationary trying to move and focus you know trying to aim your gun with your right thumb you've got to have your left thumb to be able to shoot too so it has a button on the left you know with the left thumb to be able to shoot for example but if you're running with your left thumb then you got to be able to you know and you're trying to run and shoot then you've got to be able to shoot with your right thumb too so they have two hmm. buttons to shoot so stuff like that um i'm looking right now just to see what uh those are the top three that i have in my phone or civ the new civ it's it is not it is the it's the same game as the one on pc like it's not that makes sense that. to me. All, all the features and everything. That gave right? me just click. First, when it first click. came out, it was sixty bucks on the phone. On the like phone. it was six on the iPad. Yeah, iPad and phone. Like, um, it's I think it's twenty bucks now. And then they have a bunch of like add-ons and mods for it, um, or like you know packs that you can add on to it. I haven't gotten into any of the packs or anything, but um, and then Minecraft, obviously. I mean, that's just like a no-brainer. Like to me, like to be able to get in there and the, the multiplayer is working so well on that. Like I have a computer right here below me. That's just another older like quad core thing going on. And I, that, yeah. I have a persistent server running for <laughs> Minecraft for my kids and my brother-in-laws who get on with my kids. And so sometimes, you know, everyone like there's been days where, you know, I'm on the road a lot. Right. So I can actually get on with my daughter while I'm on the road at a hotel, let's say, and uh, I can go play Minecraft. That's with pretty my kids. dope can do cool stuff like that. How old is so, your daughter? I've been doing it lately, but what's that? How old is your, how old is your daughters? The two older ones, uh, nine, six. And so yeah, nine, six. And then my son's four. My so. oldest is turning four, but you said your four year old can kind of play Minecraft in sort of, this. Oh, he's not only kind of like in the last four to five months, we've kind of just like kind of let him roam free on it. You know, not, not time wise, but just, let him learn it and at first he couldn't do anything and my brother-in-law will be playing with him he's even noticed a huge increase my brother-in-law kind of teach him yeah remotely through google hangouts you know and um he's just noticed like how quickly he can just go in and just build stuff and so like my kids have actually surpassed me in what they know about minecraft now because they used to come to me with hey dad how do i do this hey what do i click with this how do i do this now all their now my son he can hardly spell right 
but he can play <laughs> Minecraft. And but so he when he goes Minecraft. into inventory and he searches for something to build, he has to ask me how to spell it. How do you, what does he say? The, the one yesterday in the car, he, he has it on the tablet. So we were letting him play in the car on the way home from, from Idaho. And he's like, oh, he's like, uh, how do I spell flint and steel? I'm like, <laughs> flint and steel? Like, how do you know what the heck that even is? Like, it's just hilarious. But how know? does he but know he, what they're called if he can't because read? Because his sisters, his sisters. Oh, you so know, he like, hears people like, call it. and Yeah, yeah. He knows how to build all the stuff. He knows how to you know, start fires. He knows how to what those resources do, what those, you know, um, what those materials do. But anyways, yeah, Minecraft, I feel like super powerful. Um, yeah, PUBG, that's just a really good game. Um, Star, I have a one called Stardew Valley that I hear a lot of good stuff about. But yes. I, and I have it on my phone and I bought it, but I just haven't really gotten into it. That and game that's is a, sort of like an indie – it's one of the indie hits – that, yeah, um, yeah, I think they made some good money. It's a, uh, from what I understand, like Animal Crossing, kind of like yeah. you just farm and and I've watched some gameplay videos of it. I can see the appeal to it, sure. Um, especially on the phone, I think the phone or the Switch would be the perfect perfect platform for a game like that. What uh, if you think back to, I want to ask on PS One besides Ace Combat. Ooh. Did you get into game like? Obviously, you were kind of into games because, but you were you were a very different gamer than most quote unquote gamers that yeah. I've had on, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I'm interested on these systems. Like, what stuff may have you played? Because you're not mentioned. Most people, other than Mario, you haven't mentioned anything, which is basically Fan- everybody else mentions. So, like fantasy games and stuff like that. Like, yeah. I never got into fantasy games very much. Uh, PS One. I got I I got into like Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. Uh, like just a, that was a fantastic story and gameplay. Resident Evils, all you know, some of the Resident Evils back on PlayStation. Uh, I really liked those. Like, I, I feel like I really enjoy the games that have a realistic aspect to them, like Splinter Cell or like mm. uh, and you know some Tom Clancy stuff like Ghost Recon. Um, I I think I even have uh, what's the one called now? Um, the most recent Tom Clancy one that's out. Uh, oh, uh, Wildlands? Yeah, Wildlands. You Wildlands. know, that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah. but then, you know, let's say back on PS1, um, X Games, like snowboarding, like that was that was a big one. So kind of more on the realistic side that was, like I never got into the fantasy stuff. Like I don't, and I don't know why, and I'm still kind of that way, even with like my movies. Like I'm even like that with um, a lot of other things that I do. Do you like um, sci-fi movies? Depends. It depends on what it is. Like Like Interstellar. Love that movie. Like stuff that's plausible. Do you know what I mean? Like something yeah, that I, I feel clarify, like is something. When I say sci-fi, I don't mean Star Wars. There's like, there's there's sci-fi. I like Star Wars. I like yes. Star Wars, but that's, that's just because like, I grew up just on fun, it, right? right? Yeah. But there's like Disney's the sci-fi aliens and explosions, and then there's sci-fi where you ex- you explore like weird things that may come up down the road. Like I would say, Interstellar Stellar is like that. It's like okay, well. What would happen if Earth is out of food and yeah. we, we have to be able to go through a black hole and like, let's explore these ideas that are kind of based in reality? That's why I like sci-fi because yeah. it's, it's, it's basically fantasy, but you're building the fantasy by extrapolating on things that are kind of grounded in reality that may be possible. Like Black Mirror, like some Black yeah, Mirror stuff. That's right? one like, of the best sci-fi yeah. that exists. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I'll be honest, I've only seen a few episodes. Like I, I, I just – like I said, I don't – spend a ton of time like watching 
shows and TV and stuff like that. But, but those are things that definitely appeal to me. Um, like I'm trying to think of what other, like I've never really gotten into, I'm trying to think back to like PS one stuff. Like it's always been something that's like either something kind of more realistically focused, yeah. focused on real, some, some aspect of realism. Have so, you heard of con- Eve online? Um, I've heard of it. Yeah. But I don't, I don't it's, know much it's of what sci-fi, it is, but so. it's basically, uh, uh, it's a sci-fi game, but it, it's a, it's a, economy simulator masquerading as a sci-fi game oh interesting which is like you manage it's very it's completely open there is no single player it's completely open-ended user-generated it's been going it's been around for like 15 years they have eve yeah i've heard of it for sure and they, they have like full like you can be a trader you can be a pirate you can be a miner and everything yeah. is built by players they have huge federations backstabbing massive like it's an it's an economy simulator, and I, that seems like something interesting. I know it's sci-fi, yeah. on like it's the paint on... job is sci-fi, but you know, and something kind of more that's based on this kind of stuff. I'd have to have someone kind of walk me through it. Yeah, because I, you know, because you know, there's a lot of time invested in these things. You know, that like, you know, a, a parent of three, like I was saying with a career, like it doesn't necessarily have. But, you know, there's other things that I'm willing to kind of invest my time into. But if I were to get into something like that, I'd need someone to walk me through it to kind of overcome the the initial learning curve quicker. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I've got, like, what do I have installed right now? There's this game called Squad. Just, it's a first-person Squad? shooter. But you've got to work together. It's, it's all about working together. Like, you know when you jump in Battlefield or Call of Duty, right? You can get yeah. by with, like, lone wolfing it, right? And you, you know it's all about your kill to death ratio, and but squad's not like that. You have to have a good leader. It's all about leadership. Like, and that's what Arma was too. It was like you had to. It was like you had to have good leaders to be successful in what you're doing. Um, so learning all those leadership skills, like, and that was actually kind of what sparked a lot of interest. Like a lot of the guys that I played Arma with, well, not a lot of them, but a few of them I met in real life. Like we actually, like you spend so much time together. And one of them lived in Phoenix at the time when I was living there. We ended up hanging out and. Um, and uh, I just asked him, I'm like, yeah, like, have you ever, he ended up telling me that he used some of his Arma time in the leadership positions that he did in, in that Milsim unit, and he put it on a resume. And he had some way of, like, what he called it. Yeah. Yeah, and I can't remember the terms that he used, but, you know, he was just like, yeah, it was like a veterans organization, which it kind of it was, man. Like, it was like a really, attra- like, appeal to veterans, veterans because it was yeah. a place for them to be able to share their knowledge and to be able to to talk to people about what they did and to share their skills and to, you know, talk about their experiences openly. And it was really like a very therapeutic thing for those guys. Um, and so he, you know, he kind of, he, he was able to turn it into some, one of those things. That was actually probably one of the key moments to me where I was like, Oh, Hey, what, you know, how could I turn something like a hobby of mine on the computer into something that I could be, um, of use for. So anyway, kind of got off topic there. Did but. you ever play rainbow six siege? Yeah, uh-huh. I got. I have that installed. Yeah, that too. There's yeah. A, I have a really good friend that has similar style as far as FPSs go. He loves yeah. squad leadership, and he's always talking about Rainbow Six Siege. Yeah, and there's one coming out. Okay, there's SWAT Four. If you remember SWAT, the old SWAT series. Yeah. There's a new one coming coming out called Ready or Dot. Ready or not. Ready or not. Yeah. Let me look it up. My buddy just bought into the. Um, the beta. 
Yeah, he's buying the beta. It's like a hundred. It's like hundred twenty bucks just to buy into the beta, which the game's only gonna be like forty. <laughs> but uh, if you want to play it a year early, um, you can do that. I think it's called Ready or Not. Right? It looks pretty dope. There's a gameplay demo on YouTube. Yeah, I mean it's probably gonna be a little rough, and I, you know, I may end up buying into that a little later. Uh, I've got Escape from Tarkov. If you've heard of that, it's kind of along the same lines. Yeah, Escape from Tarkov's cool because it kind of brings in the element of MMO, like getting all your gear and you have all this gear that you kind of hoard and you have, and then you go into these games and you, but it's all based on a first person shooter type deal. So that one's pretty cool too. But I never, that one's brutal though, man. It's like, it's really, really hard to get good at that. But there's a lot of big Escape from Tarkov streamers. So what's it called? Escape from what? Escape from Tarkov. Tarkov. It sounds like a Russian. It is, yeah. 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 But it's, it's pretty dang cool, man. It's it's brutal, but it's kind of got... This is how I, I... Like I said, I'm not familiar with MMOs very much, but it's how I would... It's how I feel like they bridge the gap between an MMO and a first-person shooter. Okay. Oh, this is cool. I, I There's could... like, a, like all these mods you can do to your gun. You have like mm-hmm. this cool inventory-looking yep. system. Yeah, the shooting is just like, just really got a good, it's got a good uh, good feel to it, running around in there. So you're not, yeah, you're not really into the, like, Call of Duty FPS, you're into these. No, just no. Just like with, with uh, Flight, you're into, like, sim, more sim-heavy Kind of more simulator FPS. stuff, yeah. yeah. Like, and I will get into those games, like, and in, in one of the cool stories, you know, that I have um, uh, is that my, my dad passed away five years ago, but before he before he passed away for those previous three, um, he and my uncle, right? My uncle lived in Utah. My dad lived in California. They started playing Battlefield together online every Friday night. So, you know, whenever they could do it, like they would get online and they would play together. And there's like guys in their fifties yeah, yeah. playing, right? And they started this little crew called Skull Crushers. It's so funny because <laughs> my, dad, my dad is not like, you would never think of him like doing that kind of stuff. I'm like, dude, my dad's like way into Battlefield. So I'm like, this is cool though. So me and my brother, who were grew up playing games, I slowly started kind of getting in, trying to meet with them on Friday night. And I mean, they were religious about every Friday night, man. They, and they were really close growing up. Um, so my dad would always kind of get kind of, kind of like sappy on me, and he's like, "Yeah, he's like, you know, I just really feel like it's a, I really need to spend time with my brother, and you know, it's just really good for us to spend a lot of time talking and playing games. And even if we're not, you know, talking about anything important, we're playing a game together and spending time together online. Yeah, yeah." Uh, my my cousins would get in, um, and then my uncle he would have a friend from work pop in, and we became good friends with him. So we did that for a good couple of years before he passed away. Uh, and then after he passed away, my uncle he got like they had the the logo for their Skull Crushers unit, you know, or their little clan. Yeah, and they got my got cousin it. and my uncle got the tattoos of that group that they that they did had together for my dad. So that's a great a story. Super cool, man. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I kind of look back on that fondly, too, of that time that, you know, even though I'm on the road as a pilot, like, I ha- that's when I invested in a laptop so that I could play Battlefield with my dad. That's really when I got back into playing games as an adult, um, for the most part, was was to play with my dad, so. That's awesome. I have, yeah. I mean, I have a, some similar experiences where I bonded with a family member over a, a video game, specifically my brother, who I grew up uh, like a bunch of divorces. So my parents were both divorced previous, 
had a bunch of kids and they got married. I'm the only one from my two parents technically. Hello. I think I lost you. Oh, check, check. Am I back? Check, check. Checky, got you back now. Checky, check. Yeah. Sometimes said, my internet, the last thing I heard was bonded with a family member. So It's just uh, it's Comcast, man. Late at night, everyone's on Netflix. Suck it right, up my yeah. bandwidth, baby. I know, dude. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's me or you. It could be me too. But I think it's me. You got it's a gigabit happening. of fiber, but you wouldn't think it because it, it has a lot of hiccups. So. It's been happening to me like the last few days uh, doing podcasts. It didn't happen before, so it's okay, probably yeah. me. Because uh, it's happened with other people, so oh, okay. it's, it's probably me. But what I was saying is, I uh, all my brothers and sisters are technically half brothers and sisters. Both my parents were uh, a big family, seven kids, but both our previous marriages. I was the only one from my two parents, and my closest sister got married when I was like ten or eleven. That mm-hmm. I grew up with her a little, and I was really, I was really didn't. And there were some issues with like divorce and shit. I didn't really hang out with my brothers and sisters, especially my brothers who were closer in age mm-hmm. until after I was an adult. And it's like trying to trying to become friends with my family as an adult much later in life was this goal. And I'm bonded with my uh, – I had one brother who's only three years older than me. And uh, he said – he recommended this game, Border. I don't know if you ever played Borderlands. It's a four, yeah. first-person shooter. Uh, I'm, I haven't played it, but I know what it is. Yeah. And he uh, – Borderlands 2 came out and he was talking about it. And I wasn't – I'm not really into – First-person shooters, I haven't played a lot. I'm like the opposite. I didn't play a lot of multiplayer. I've always – like the total opposite. Fantasy games, single-player games, yeah. ultra nerd shit. It was like everything that I was into. <laughs> but he got me to play this. And for my birthday, I was newly married. My wife, uh, I asked, okay, I just want to play this game with my brother for the whole weekend on my birthday weekend. I had a friend lend me an Xbox 360. Oh, sweet. My brother bought me Xbox Gold for like three months, like the cheapest uh-huh. past. Then I just went and bought the game. And I played through this whole game co-op with my brother. And it was probably more time than I had ever spent with my brother in my entire life up to that point. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, it's like we started becoming really good friends after that. And that's what kind of reminds me of – I mean obviously you spent time with your dad growing up. But I think because of the way society is moving, like I have really close relationships with people who I've never met. But I love them. Like they're really good friends. Yeah. And they're yeah. online friends. And I would say like if if they called me up and was like, I have an emergency, could you fly out and help me? I would do it. Yeah. And like you you can it's not as good as one on one it's not as good as in person, but in some ways it's better because like you said, you're you're you can't be in person with your dad all the time. You're flying. You're yeah. You yeah. guys' schedule's crazy, right? It's like two weeks on, two weeks off. Uh, less than like that. that. It's you know typically four four days at the most. So okay. it's not bad. Yeah. No, but you're right. I mean, um, I, I'm I'm smiling big there because I have groups of friends online now that like I've met in real life and we've hung out and you know we interact with each other every single day in like Discord or Teamspeak or whatever we're using to yeah. communicate online. And you develop these really good relationships with people. Like, for example, this kid, uh, this guy, Max, he um, he learned to fly. I watched him learn to fly. I've known him for the past five years. And literally, like, he just had a – he flies a jet and um, he's younger than me. But, like, I – you know, I ended up – he had a problem flying out of Chicago uh, yesterday and he ended up – we talked on the phone today, you know, just about this issue. You know, so we have each other's phone numbers and um, they all went to this flight. So I haven't – they're kind of kicking – getting mad at me because i haven't been to this this flight sim expo thing uh, <laughs> ever you know and they've all gone for the last couple of years and uh the one next year's in vegas but you know so they've all been going with each other 
and uh you know see meeting each other and hanging out and stuff and having a good time um and my buddy when he posted all the picture of all the guys like you know um on twitter he's like yeah just hanging out with extended family here in, in orlando you know for flights to mexico and it was just like funny because the way he put it you know is you know it's like yeah man like in a sense like you could become really close with these people and you're like wow this is cool like you can it's weird because um yeah this other kid that i was kind of mentoring with uh, aviation and stuff like that like his family like took me to when i had an overnight here in vegas before i lived here um they took me to the water park because they were here on vacation and like yeah we'll come pick you up and we'll pay for you to go to the water park and i'm like sweet so i got this guy that um i kind of mentored with aviation but he taught me a bunch of sim stuff because he knows about all that and uh anyways so you know i got to talk to his parents about him starting flight training and um but the funny thing is when we were at dinner his mom was like oh how'd you guys meet and um and we're like, he's like, oh yeah, we met, we met online, <laughs> and and uh, you just saw her face, like, what? Like, she couldn't understand, like, how are, like, she just couldn't understand that we, we met, met online. We met online, like, grinder, yeah. mom. We were on grinder. <laughs> yeah. oh, let's, exactly. just, let's just get this over with. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of good because his dad kind of piped up and was like, well, that's how I know so and so. You know, oh, we yeah, met yeah. online, and now we're really good friends. And they, you know, so that's something she, you know, there is a weird stigma just to that phrase. Isn't that we weird? Met yeah. Online. Yeah. Because for so many years, online meetups was just nothing but sketch. Now it's a completely yeah, different yeah. – it's totally changed. Yeah, that's that's really – did you ever hear of a site called uh, Turntable FM? I know you're into music. Uh, I know what it is. I've heard of it, yeah. But I don't – I've never used it or anything like that. That was an interesting community where they – for those who don't know what it is, it was basically a website where they created virtual rooms and you had little virtual avatars. Oh, and okay. you could basically share music. So you enter this virtual room and there was one person on the quote unquote the decks at a time. And I could get up on the deck and I could share songs that I was into or for me, plus oh. producing, playing my own songs in front of like a virtual crowd and they could chat and talk to each other. Then you take turns. I get off the decks and then you, your little avatar would get up and get on the decks and share songs and you could vote on oh, songs sweet. and like give plus. And it created this community where – I like some of my best online friends are all from the site. They inevitably ran into some serious legal trouble because uh, because you're yeah. just like streaming music that you like and they weren't like paying and they tried to it was before Spotify was like really big. Okay. And uh but they it, it reminds me a little bit of what you're trying to accomplish with the cockpit thing meaning like if you could do that cockpit thing where someone could be flight training and you could have four or five of your no most knowledgeable buddies there virtually with them. You're not just getting one-on-one -on -one training with someone. You have the community all in there talking to each other, hanging out, walking you through things. That's sort of like what Turntable FM was. You could have a room of 100, 100 yeah. of your online friends that are all into music. i get up and I could share my new tracks. And then those people would blog about it and like vice versa. And I'm still friends with a lot, a lot of those guys. And like cool. you said, a lot of them, when I would tour, <laughs> I would always end like end up sleeping. I would with sometimes it wouldn't even be with them. Like it'd be like, "Hey, I know a guy in the city. I'm not even. Yeah, I don't yeah. even live in that city, but yeah. I got a homie in that city, and I will link you up and vouch for you." And then I would end up like hanging out with complete strangers that yeah. knew someone that I knew online and have a great time. And it wasn't yeah, sketchy. Is huge. Well, yeah. it's this just gets weird, and I I always think like because my wife doesn't do gaming or anything like that, but like I would I would honestly like if she was like yeah I'm gonna go hang out we're gonna go to this place with someone I met online I'd be like 
Oh, and she's kind of starting out with her Instagram stuff and she's doing her own like Etsy shop and she's trying to network with a lot of other shop owners and all that yeah. kind of stuff so that she can, you know, try to grow her, her business and stuff like that. So I'm kind of getting, you know, she's kind of getting into that now, but you know, like she's met my friends. Like we went to sun and fun air show in Florida and met a bunch of my friends that I only knew from online. We have a big picture with all of us and we only know each other from online, you know, um, and our, we all share a passion for aviation, some of us for flight simulators, but aviation in general. So it's just kind of, it's just really cool to think that that's what brought us together. Like you could, it's, it's been, it's made it so much easier to find like-minded people with the internet, you know, whereas at the beginning it was just AOL. It's like, okay, my friend from school, I'm going to go chat with my friend on AOL on AIM Instant Messenger. That was, he, that's how I learned how to type on the computer, you know, it was from AIM. Mm. I don't know if you use that, but, um, you know talking and that's how i booked a whole tour with my band when i was when we were 18 19 and i booked a whole west coast tour through aim instant messenger so all people that i had just met online through mp3.com yeah mp3.com was big man so this was so weird you know we we never got big or anything like that but you know we we had a catchy song or two and like i remember when we came through utah we toured we played at some random place man like Gosh, I'm trying to remember. I want to say it was like in Layton. Yeah, yeah. We toured through. We played a couple of shows in Utah. One of them was in Layton at some like some punk, you know, where punk bands yeah. would play. And I remember we started playing our song. We had like you know 40, 50 people there, which was good for us, you know, at the time. And and uh, and these kids were singing our song. And I'm like, what the heck? We're from California. We're from Southern California. How did these kids know our song? I'm like, MP3.com. That's how. That's how I, that's that was like the precursor to everything, you know. Um, well, what happened to MP3.com? What is? I don't it? know, man. But it was huge at the time. I mean, that was like everything for us. That was ex- totally how we disseminated our music. Um, I mean, yeah. And I don't think you would put like a whole album up there. You just put like a couple songs up. But those and those are the songs that they that those people would sing along to. And you're like, I was just stoked, man. I'm like, dude, this is a song I wrote. Like, people are singing along to. This is crazy. Um, you know, so in a different state. So, hmm. Yeah, it looks like it's but, still something. Yeah, I don't know. But that's how you would actually kind of, you know, when you were trying to book a show at some venue. You know, we booked a show. I booked a show in Seattle via a friend, and they just would they would refer them to your MP3.com site. Whereas before, you know, just right prior to that, right prior to MP3.com coming out, you'd have to send them a CD or send them some like yeah, yeah. You know, it was really hard. It was a lot of work to to get something like that going. But you know, it wasn't it wasn't an efficient tour by any means. But like, you know, we were kind of zigzagging across the West Coast, and you know, I'm in West by furthest east we got was probably like Pocatello, Idaho, or something. You know, um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was super cool. So that's how right. we, how we got it done. If you had one ultimate most nostalgic gaming memory from any time. Like the most magical moment, whether it's flight simulator, like a specific time, or like a certain time playing with your kid on a game. What is your? Ooh. What's the best memory? Ooh, I don't man. I wasn't expecting this question. Dang, dude! It's my finale, baby. I always ask. Not always, oh, but shoot, man. Sometimes, like there's 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 like different memories for every like for every phase of my of gaming that I can well, think of. Do you know it. what I mean? Let's run through it. 
Well, I mean, there's just those those special moments with my dad playing Flight Simulator as a kid, right? I mean, there's those like yeah, where you know he teaches me something and, and whatever. Actually, one actually one I do remember was sitting there with him playing NES, and he just sat down with me, and he played Skate or Die, and I was just like, man, this is so freaking cool that my dad's playing Skate or Die. Oh, yeah. And he told me he's like he's like yeah, I used to skateboard. He's like I used to skate a lot when I was younger, and then, you know this is in the seventies. I'm like, you used to skate? And he's like, yeah, I used to you skate. You were I'm cool, like, Dad? Well, yeah. and I was only like, I, I must have been seven, you know? Yeah. But I was kind of in, I was in the skating at that time, you know, with some like old school 80s board. But like, that was just a moment I really remember as a, as a little kid. I remember that, you know, he spent that time with me and it wasn't much, you know, he probably spent maybe 15, 20 minutes with me playing that game. But, you know, that really, that really stands out um, in my mind. You know, so uh, that's one. I mean, you know, in different eras, like all the summers growing up playing with kids down the street, like one of the my one of my good friends, Brad Newbold, he uh, we grew up down the street from them and he would come over every day. And he was five years older than me, you know, but he was a lot. Over. That's a lot of time. It was. When you're little. Yeah. Yeah. He was a lot older than me. But like we became we were really good friends, you know, and, you know, I actually texted him tonight before I did this podcast. I'm like, hey, I'm doing this podcast. Like, well, is this the game that we used to play this lowly? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, he's like, dude, just send me that when you're done. You know, he's <laughs> stoked on it. So, um, you know, we connected over video games uh, throughout the years. With my, you know, my sister would play my his sister would play. My brothers would play. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. What else? You know, I probably one of the most special things was being able to spend all that time with my dad before he passed away. Obviously, yeah. uh, you know, as far as one specific moment, uh, you know, that whole you know, concept, that, that whole story, you should like send that to Battlefield, like the devs. Yeah, man. Yeah, like that's a um, really cool story. My, I just had lunch with my uncle up in uh, up in Utah two days ago as we were on our way down from vacation, and we were just talking about that. He's like, "Man, we need to get." We need to get playing games again. He's like, it's not the same without your dad, but you know, we, you know, he's like, it's just such a fond memory that he has, you know, and like they were, they're Irish twins. So they're only 11 months apart. Um, and, mm. uh, but he, he bought a Vive headset, you know, virtual headset. And then his son, my cousin just bought a headset and then I bought a headset. So we're all trying to, we want to get in there and go play the same games together. Can you have cross platform uh, with, with Oculus and Vive? Yeah. So like all the steam games, are pretty much compatible. Well, you have to look at the game to make sure it's compatible with um, the certain type of headset that you have. I have the Rift S, he has a Vive, and then my cousin has a Valve Index. So we all have three. And then the only one that's not compatible with all this, I think, is the Oculus Go, which okay. um, my other cousin-in-law has. And that one's kind of like its own. It has games like as it's a It's like all on its own, headset. self-contained. Yeah. yeah. And they were explaining it to me because I didn't fully understand how it worked. But, um, yeah, it's all kind of standalone. But I think you can access Steam games if you kind of know the workaround for it. But, anyways, we all want to get in there and play some, do some VR together. I was explaining them the, the flights and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of the stuff, though, you know, it's like it's just like moments in life, like, where all that, a lot of, like, the really good moments were just spontaneous moments when you try to, like, go back and recreate them it doesn't really you can't, work you can't yeah. do it yeah 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 it's it you know those those moments kind of just happen but uh yeah so i mean every era of like every era of like these games that i've explained to you that have been a kind of a big part of my life without being too cheesy <laughs> but you know they've they've had an impact on my life and it's it's um it's special to me you know my wife might kind of laugh at that but it really it really is and i don't know 
I don't know why. It's kind of interesting how that how that plays, and maybe it's just our generation that it's special to us because it's at the t- at the point in time that we were growing up. I don't, we are I don't the, know, maybe. the nostalgia generation. I mean, there's yeah. there's a market for nostalgia, hence why we're doing this podcast and Stranger sure, Things yeah. and all that stuff. Um, I, I think it's always been around. I'm sure nostalgia has always been a real thing, but there just wasn't this platform with the internet and the media to constantly to be able to provide as much. If you were if you were living in the 50s and you wanted to to enjoy some nostalgia about growing up in the 30s, you just have to hang out with your buddies that you knew growing up, and yeah. that was it. You couldn't. No one could really descend, disseminate, disseminate any sort of media or experience to you to bring that back up. You couldn't have, like, I love YouTube. I watch a lot of uh, gaming retrospectives where people will do like little documentaries on old games and kind of put their own angle. And they, they will, each one of them will pull up like different random things. And you have some guys that are really good. There's nothing like that. Um, there wasn't anything like that. So I don't know if we feel more nostalgic now, like gaming is special or we just actually have the ability to serve the, the need or the, the, the we can actually supply the demand now. Yeah, you could exactly. Before. We have the resources to be able to do that and yeah. to be able to disseminate it at a much greater scale, you know, to so many more people than than we could have before. You know, in order to do that before, you had to do it through, you know, the relatively rudimentary medium re- mediums that were available at the time, right? I.e. music, you know, um, you know, CDs and vinyl and all that kind of stuff. Whereas now, like, man, the digital world you know has globalized us so quickly i mean i you know there's people i play flights in with that live in europe and all over the world man that you know and they're so cool like the like one guy that i fly with in germany on a regular basis he's like yeah man when you're in germany you can come stay at my place come hang out yeah i'm like okay yeah cool and totally comfortable like not weird at all like you know it's things like that so um but you know he's got the you know i don't know it's just weird this this generation that we're in um it's cool. I'm. It's exciting. It's exciting to live in this generation. You've definitely so. been the most, I would say, yeah, unique. You're number 12. I don't know if it's going to be uploaded as chronologically as number 12. Yeah. But like I said earlier, Mario's really the only overlap you've had with anybody else. Weird, huh? Isn't it? But you're like, you are a hard, I would actually say you're a hardcore gamer. I would you're say that too. just hardcore into yeah. like a completely... Sim type world, you know, whether it's FPS. I mean, obviously, you're deep down the rabbit hole in flight sim, but you're also yeah. a pilot, which makes sense. But the fact that, like, you're playing Arma with dudes who are actually ex military that are teaching you what to, like, you, you're a hardcore gamer, just not in what is the most common way. You're not a nerd, you're not into like yep. nerd culture. No, when people say like, gamer, that they wouldn't conjure up you in their mind. No, they're like someone was trying to get me to play D and D the other night. I'm like, nah, man. I just know that's <laughs> not my thing. Like, so was, you know, my my friends are like really into like Elder Scrolls. Oh, what's that one game? Oh, um, Skyrim. That's a big popular. Skyrim. Game. I yeah. have it on here, thinking you know, and I bought it with full intention of like, hey, I'm gonna play this game, and I'm yeah, this looks cool. It just doesn't do it for me. I don't know what it is. It's just not my thing. Even even other like war based games, you know, that are more turn based type things, like uh, like you know, where like the top down, where you're controlling troops and all kind of stuff. Not really my thing, dude. I, I don't I don't know what it is, but uh, and that's kind of when you posted that you were doing this. I'm like, I've kind of known for a little while that I'm slightly different than most 
gamers, typical yeah. gamers. Yeah. You know, even even the guys I meet in sim stuff, like they dig a lot of those games, like World of Warcraft and all that stuff, and they yeah. came from that genre and then moved into flight sim. But I've never, I've never really dabbled or touched in touched that stuff. So I mean, you literally started with flight sim, which is so crazy. Pretty. That was the first thing yeah. I probably touched. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, the first game I ever played. Yeah. There's a, there's a definitely. Have you heard of the game Dark Souls? I've heard of it, yeah. It's a series. It's really well – the series is known for being incredibly difficult and having a high learning curve. And a lot of us that are into Dark Souls and that we'll do like achievements in Platinum, and like you, you get a little sense of, oh, I'm a gamer, but I'm into hard games and I, I'm into the challenge, which is true. That game is challenging. But I already know for a million percent fact based on me dabbling with anything simulated – like uh, Europe, the Europa game we were talking about, I have played with Flight Simulator a couple times. Couldn't even like turn the airplane on. Like the barrier to entry on the things that yeah. you are into are so much higher than quote unquote the hardest gamer games that people get into. That's what I mean. Like I think you're a different level of you're like even more hardcore than what people consider a hardcore gamer because the, the commitment I imagine it takes to get good at Flight Sim or Arma. Or Squad or Tarkov, all these games you were talking. I've I've dabbled in all these games, and I, one thing becomes a, apparent immediately. Like, oh, this is like I have to be committed to this. Like I'm committed to jujitsu or music, and I'm not. Yeah, I'm not ready right. to add on a hobby like yeah. that. I don't have. I, sure. I can't. There's no yeah. middle ground. You can't casually play flight sim. Well, and I mean you can, but the, at the same time, like. This is the this is what I tell these other guys who I who I interact with who do flight sim who aren't real world pilots. I say I could never have gone down this path the way that you did because I wouldn't have been willing to put in all the time mm. to learn about aviation to learn all these you know concepts about aviation unless I did it in real life if that makes sense. So yeah. And so I, you know, I gave it to a lot of these guys and who are super dedicated and the programmers, like interacting with programmers is such a different thing too. Cause I, I meet a lot of these guys and I really appreciate their level of, um, learning and how they have to, um, you know, to me, like, I just, I know this stuff because I went to school for it and I do it in real life. And so, yeah, of course I can bring it to the computer, right? I can bring it to the, to the stuff, but then these guys, they bring just a whole different level of dedication that's true hobby. like right. if you were you know to what I mean? build so they're even simulator, beyond you... me like yeah they're way beyond what like my dedication to it if that makes they, sense so do they just consult with pilots when they build these type of simulators absolutely yeah I mean, and they, they value that a lot yeah. yeah they value their their time with pilots i beta tested um one of the uh one of the bigger airbus models for x-plane 11 um so they brought me on it i had i, I knew one of the bigger streamers in uh in the flight sim world on twitch and he knows that I'm a real pilot. He actually lives in Utah. Uh, he actually brought me in on the beta testing for this Airbus. He's like, you, we have to bring you in on it. We need your input and everything and see how things feel. And so that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now with like my streaming. I'm like, okay, I think, you know, I've kind of, I'll, I'll bring in, I've just been flying different Airbus models and trying to see what, what they feel like and how realistic they feel. Um, and uh, kind of see what we can do with that. But yeah, so I think like going back to what you were saying about we're into different things even though we can totally just jam on this for two hours right um yeah it's just a different paradigm you know we're we're in two different kind of paradigms with the with what we you know how we um consume 
our media, if that makes sense, of video games. You know, it's like yeah. I mean, it's exactly um, what yeah. I wanted. I I wanted to bring people on and explore. Okay, what things are similar and and how different are. And I have been surprised that you've obviously been the most different. You mentioned Mario, but no one has actually been as similar as I would have expected hmm. coming okay. into it. Like obviously, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of Mario. There's a lot of Zelda. There's a lot of Halo. Up. I played Zelda, yeah. I forgot yeah. to mention that too. There's a few Zelda big ones that are really cultural phenomenons that most people bring up, but in between that, everyone's pretty different, even though we all grew up gaming. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, and, and when we start going down that path of talking about all these games, I realize how many games I've played growing up and how many games are even out there. And, and it's weird how, like, you know, the market has actually like catered to all different types of people and what they like and don't like. And I don't know. It's interesting, man. I, I, I just didn't even realize it until we started talking about it. But Well, where, where can people find you on Twitch? On uh, Sendero. So uh, twitch.tv slash Sendero. Uh, S-E-N-D-A-E-R-O is uh, kind of the handle I've been using lately under uh, on Twitch. Got a YouTube under that same handle. Got a bunch of, you know, flight sim videos and things like that. Kind of a variety uh going on right now but um yeah mainly i've been kind of trying to my goal has been to stream a couple times a week as of the past few weeks so um i think i'll be working on that uh got a, some stuff in the pipeline with another couple pilots uh, another couple of airline pilots i've been working with we're just trying to figure out kind of what we want to do here but uh yeah mainly well, if Twitch, you're interested uh, in flight sim or airline stuff or flying this is your dude. I'm sure you can find him online. I'll post link. I'll get links and everything from you for everything. Put it in the description. Put it in the intro. Awesome. In the outro. Thanks so much for your time. We are actually. I think we're at like two and a half, almost. Three oh hours. my goodness! Wow. Time. All, every single time I do one of these, for the most part, it goes way, way longer than you don't even realize. The time just goes crazy. So yeah, it's man. a good thing. Yeah. If it was dragging, yeah. then it means it was a shitty podcast. <laughs> well totally enjoyable for me and uh yeah man it's good to reconnect with you and we'll have cool. you back on i want to have you come back on so what i'm thinking for repeat guests is like obviously you go through people's memories but then we can talk about recent memories recent games and then also yeah. with you i'd love to follow up on any kind of this this business idea you had shared cockpit experiences yep. how much better the sim world is getting and the vr world is getting because um, you're much deeper. I haven't gotten into VR at all. I you'd think I'd be one of the first adopters, but I just haven't done it. So you'd be a great yeah. person to bring on and kind of talk about that. Yeah, I'd love to do that, man. Uh, I'm I'm thinking about this stuff all day long. So uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Sweet man, I appreciate your time. Adios, friends. And that is a wrap. If you're listening to this, as I always say, that means you listen to the in. Ooh, I messed that one up. That means you listened to the entirety of the podcast. I'm going to leave that one, and you know what? I'm not going to edit that out because this is the end of the podcast, and I bet two of you assholes are actually going to hear this. So to whoever the lucky two assholes are that are listening to this, I love you. And the rest of you clearly are not doing your duty as members of the One True Gaming Podcast. Go out there and share the goddamn good news of the Gaming Memories Gospel. You can't do that if you didn't listen to the whole motherfucking episode. Right? Right. Right. Anyway, next week on the podcast, let me look it up who it is because I don't have it off the top of my head. It is Steve Mother Whoopsies Phillips. 
also known as Durandal. He is a bass music producer who makes the deep, dark, wobbly, drop step for your UK garage deep, dark, chill, dubstep needs. Durandal, a.k.a. Steepillips, has your prescription covered. He'll be on next week. We filmed it on location at his house because he also has a giant ass collection of video games, which we talk about in tandem with his favorite gaming memories growing up. Until then, do your duty, say your prayers, do the cross little thing that the Catholics do or steal not from them. I'm going to lift that shit from their religion. Look, everything's a remix, including God's one true gaming podcast. Love you all. See you later. Peace.